Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Shanna, who has a similar enough name to the name of the vampire that I could could have made my name a pun of that, but I didn't write down the vampire's name in my notebook. No, I did, but it's too far away right now. Not going to go with a Shanna Sukamoto. <laughs> oh, Shanya Sukamoto. Uh, but before Thank we you. get into Bullet Ballet, uh, we wanted to briefly go back to Coco D, Coco Da, because like after we recorded last week, uh, like an hour later, we were talking in a group chat or just in the chat and like, wait a sec, I, I have a few further thoughts on a few of the things here. Yeah, a lot more stuff came up that we just did not talk about, like did not even think about when we were recording. Because it's a, it's, it's a lot to unravel and some of the imagery in it is very uh, loaded, I guess. And I, I think especially <sighs> the image of the bird in the shadow play sequences. Uh, and I think we were kind of broadly referring to it as sort of uh, uh, an, an image of life, just generally yeah. life uh, and life going on. I kind of feel like maybe it's a bit more specific than that in what I was saying that night is that is initially more to do with just their love and, you know, the life in their marriage uh, and or the possibility of another child. But I think maybe more specifically it's also about uh their cherished memories of the child because this is a movie so much about memory uh -huh. and that like you know they're they've kind of stowed away and chained up these memories because you know while they're beautiful and they're meaningful to them they're also painful uh but now they're finally you know able to face that in a way and what we were saying as well regarding the dream versus the other sequences, the the the, the wife's loop. Uh -huh. uh, that yeah. that was a particular thing you had in mind. Yeah, that was. Oh gosh, what did I think about that? <laughs> well, so you, you <laughs> that were it was saying. A... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it <laughs> okay, hadn't so... quite come to me. So, uh, what you you were saying at the time was the that like. Uh, you didn't it didn't strike you as being a loop when we were discussing it uh, because uh, it, it had a completely dis different resolution. All of the right. man's versions were had a game over screen, whereas uh -huh, hers was uh -huh. more of an emotional realization. Uh, she went yeah. through sort of a different pattern to uh, achieve the same uh, uh, emotional endpoint. Yeah. And I, I, I was saying how because we had established the pattern of the loops always ending with that like helicopter shot mm -hmm. um, that because this didn't end with that, that this wasn't a loop or this, this, that this was just a dream that, that I thought she had, but because, and because it played out so differently from all of the previous loops. Right. But, and then, yeah, you suggested that it is a loop, but she just experiences the loop differently because she has a more, like a psychological way of processing what's going on, whereas yeah. he has a more brute his is, force way. Yeah, you know, he's brute forcing the video game. His is a very direct, interactive, uh, like, I'm going to fix this problem approach, whereas 
hers requires more of just an emotional realization. Uh, and and also just in terms of the loops and the additional things that we see outside of just that one central one, it's that, you know, the the, the main thing is that these loops are the ones that they break and escape, the, the, the central ones at the core, the one that they're stuck in. Uh, but they're stuck in all of these other loops in their marriage. But those are all breakable as well. And they're more breakable than this one because those are just habits, whereas this one is like you know, a, a psychological, you know, horror danger loop that you, know, you, you have to magically break. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I think that's probably more or less covers sort of some additional thoughts on that. It's it's a very interesting and complex film. Uh, yeah, but, there's a lot to it. And, and like, I still don't really get what the uh, the the other family represents, the uh, the monster or not the the bad guys. Yeah, I'm not really sure exactly their whole deal. I, I think basically they're just kind of the avatars of uh, the daughter uh, and the grief and everything because they're directly associated with that day. You know, they are the characters on the music box. It was to be the gift for the birthday. Oh, they could be like the psychological manifestations of their grief that they have been projecting out because they associate those visions with what they saw like the day of that the daughter died yeah, something and like they're that. just projecting it out there and making it real yeah i like I, I don't know like i there's certainly a a major element of metaphor to this whole thing and and the, in some certain way they are a representation of grief and a sort of a representation of uh, their uh just the the the, the shadow of their daughter uh, and and that's sort of like, you know, th- this is another vacation and this is sort of that loop that they're in. You know, they're they're stuck with uh, that previous vacation where their daughter died and it's just this horrible thing that they can't get out of. But anyway, uh, just horrible things that you can't get out of. Oh, uh, my gosh. <laughs> our, our main movie this week is Shinya Tsukamoto's 1998 Bullet Ballet. Uh, this one's a rough one. This one's brutal. Oh, okay. So I had this like thoughtful plan where I, w- I, I saw like the first 20 or so minutes of Bullet Ballet and I was like, okay, this is going to be cool. He's going to like do like a bullet gun revenge thing against the this gang or or the people who made his wife commit suicide. And then I was like, I'm going to get really high and go for the go along for the ride i should not have done that no no Uh, i i was even going to say like the other day that like i i don't recommend it uh really for either of them i mean maybe not like leptorica i mean we'll we'll get there that one is silly enough that it could withstand it it's just yeah that's the one i watch mostly sober there's a lot and i think that's the opposite way i should have done it it's it's Uh, it's an easier vibe this one is a very intense movie this one can be like a more I came away from it comparing it to Iron Man in that it's like but different. Um it's like the emotional equivalent. Yeah, so like moment. again, kind of like uh Tokyo Fist. It, it it has the more grounded reality, and I'd say that this one has an even more grounded reality than Tokyo Fist, and considerably more. Uh, yeah, there's very there's not even any like 
horrible surprise body horror, really. Yeah, really, the only kind of moment of body horror we get is actually involved with boxing, oddly enough. Uh, but it's it's got kind of a similar arc, and it's sort of the same story again. It's just it's brought into, like, really lurid reality. So, like, we have Shinya Tsukamoto once again as the main character. He's another angry vengeful salary man he's got this violence inside him that's waiting to pop and it's got this same obsessive obsession with guns and weaponry but like where in the tetsuo movies they become the guns here he just he he'll do anything to possess one because like that's the power of life and death mm-hmm. but it just ends up it just ends up going so so very wrong whereas Iron Man was like a power fantasy almost in a way. Um this well, one it's is like the, the sort opposite. of fantasy he'd have. Yeah. Like this guy, I like the the montages we get when he's having his gun fantasies yeah. are kind of sort sort of like a, a Tetsuo vision, just they're at a much more basic level because he's not a very imaginative person. He's not very insightful or intuitive. <laughs> no. No, and it just and whereas in that, they end up destroying the world, and this, the world ends up destroying them. Yeah, basically. And, like, just, the, it's, it's, he gets in with all of these really self-destructive people, but they're kids, and he's not a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's not even really part of their group. He, like, they don't see him that way. They just think he's just, like, this weird guy who follows them around. Well, they've robbed him twice, but we'll, we'll get to twice, that. But yeah, uh, um, it has another absolute industrial rager of a score from Chu Ishikawa. Just rules, so good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so the way I had thought of it where was where Iron Man is like an assault on the senses, like the eyes and the ears, and it just doesn't stop that way. This is not is an assault on like your feels. Yeah, this is a very emotional one. This one's very raw. Uh, And like we again go back to the black and white. It's very grainy. It's very harsh. Uh, The violence that we get, like we we do get some pretty raw violence, uh, but not it's it's not as wildly excessive as it is in the other movies, because it's, again, at a very realistic street level. It's brutal, but it's in no way glorified. No. Uh, So first uh line is hey you sound cheerful today uh he he's on the phone to his girlfriend and just like that's that's a really interesting line to open with knowing what comes next because it's yeah he's so oblivious he's completely oblivious to everything going on with her and that's sort of his driving force in this because like he realizes very soon how completely oblivious he's been to his life but like, like he kind of doesn't know how to gain that awareness. Yeah, he like she's humming this sad melody on the phone and he's like, oh, you seem really happy today. And, and it's he's like, like oh, walking dear. home like he, he's he been woken up. He he was like by the phone. He's like drunk at a table or something asleep. Yeah, outside. He, he like stayed out at a bar or something. And so like he's chatting with her while walking home. Uh, for a bit and then but by the time he gets home police are surrounding his building 
and he finds that his girlfriend has killed herself. Mm-hmm. Do we cut straight to like him talking to the police? Yeah, like that's how he finds out. Yeah, he, we we yeah. find out through his interrogation. Basically. Yeah, so this is really neat because it like it cuts ahead a whole bunch of of the interrogation. Because you get the feeling the interrogation lasted hours, but we just get like little snippets here and there and abrupt well, like, stops. And we we don't see any questions. We just get fragments of his responses, or maybe we yes. get all of his responses. But like we never see any questions. It's just like skip ahead. Here's him answering a question, uh, and and we get like some vague details. Like she was friends with someone who was maybe in trouble. Who knows? We never find out. Because he doesn't yeah. find out. He doesn't know anything. Yeah, like, uh, we know that we find out that he's been with her for 10 years. And yes. oh, actually, one of the cops, we do hear him ask her, like, 10 years and and you didn't marry her? And he's like, well, she wanted to focus on her career. And it's like, <laughs> and I'm just thinking, hold on. So if she wants to work, does how does that mean you can't get married? I don't have know. you actually talked about this? But it, it could absolutely like be haven't. a thing. No, that this could absolutely oh, well, actually, be a thing because that's right, that's a whole cultural thing. But yeah, like you're right, their culture is. We're gonna find a few ways in which their culture is different from ours in this movie. Well, career culture is a whole big thing in this as well. I mean, that's a yeah. thing with Goto. But for her, absolutely, it seems likely that maybe that's a thing that she said. But maybe after this amount of time, it's not the same place because like. They've been together for 10 years now. But either way, we have no idea. There's absolutely nothing for us to go on with anything with this girlfriend because it's out of nowhere for him. The only oh, yeah. time we see anything with the girlfriend is much later in a flashback where he's just trying to puzzle through it. Still. Yeah, and spoiler alert, we never find out why she did it. No, of course not. We Because he doesn't. We have some ideas of what it could be because – but no, there – is not and will not be a conclusive answer. It actually made me think of Citizen Kane in that way. Like, hmm. you know that Rosebud is the sled, but why was that his last word? We don't find out right. three hours later. Well, because we don't know. There's nothing to find out. It's it's about life. Yeah, it's yeah, you can't you can't know. It's just Well, here this is a little different. Maybe he could have known why she wanted to why she killed herself. If he had been paying attention, I, I I feel it's equally likely that maybe he didn't actually talk to her about this career thing or uh, so, didn't for a long time. So there, there, just before the titles, there's a couple really amazing shots. First, we have uh, the drain dripping water on an insect that's flipped over on its back and just like this hyper close up. Oh, uh, yeah. That was... And still moving. Like, not a yep. dead insect, but, like, flipped over, water dripping directly on it. Uh, it, it feels like a, a really direct metaphor of uh, Goda himself. It's just this. He, he's completely well, like twitching, broken. Kind of. Yeah. There, there's there's not much left there. He He's just, like, he, he's got his motor nerves. Uh, he, he'll react to external stimuli. But there's no life in him. He He, he doesn't exist for anything he, he's just this broken nothing he, he's an insect so and then after that we have uh, sort of the first of many taxi driver homages with him pointing his finger like a gun in the mirror uh, but of course 
it's not America. He can't get a gun. He doesn't have a gun. <laughs> it's just his fingers. Yeah. And it's he doesn't want to destroy a political figure or he, he doesn't want to destroy a pimp. He doesn't want to destroy the world. It's it's just himself. He he just wants to destroy himself. And and he, he frames it as like he wants to find this gun. I think he's using the excuse that he wants to find this gun to find out where she might have found a gun. Yeah, but it's like he, he he wants to understand what why it happened and somehow he feels like having the gun will help him, but it's mostly self-destruction. Oh yeah, it, it soon becomes all about him having the gun. Yeah. And he he needs one. Yeah, it, it actually stops after a while stops being about the girlfriend at all. Cuz like it comes up a few more times. Like there there are times like it's clearly still a thing with him. It's just he's kind of become involved in this whole danger crew. But like he's still working towards that. It's just he sort of gets involved in this other stuff and there's just no way for him to deal with any of that. Like it's a thing that happened and it's always going to be a thing that happened and there's no way for him to undo it or even understand why it happened because he already missed it. He can't go back and see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he can't, he, he will not be able, he can't get closure for really it's yeah. too late. There, there's no closure available. Whereas there is closure available for these other people in a way. Uh, but I, I really like him just like him angrily pointing the finger in uh, like a gun in the mirror at himself uh, and then kaboom the titles just pounding industrial music mm-hmm. and the the u the u and the a in bullet ballet look like like come onto the screen looking like bullets yeah like uh heading towards each other of course mm-hmm. uh so then we we catch up with him stepping out of a bar and he's scolded by, like, he, he turns his phone back on and he's scolded by, I guess, his boss or maybe a colleague. Or like, yeah. why are you always turning your mobile off when you're drinking? It's, hey, let me disconnect from my job, you guys. I, <laughs> I'm not, you're, you're not paying me to be on call. Join our anti-work. Also, my girlfriend just committed suicide yesterday. I don't really know how long it's been. I really have yeah, no idea. I, I, yeah, that's true. There, there's no clear idea of any sort of uh, time frame for anything. Yeah, I'm. I honestly, I wasn't even 100 percent sure the movie was happening in chronological or, order at some points. Mm. Uh, he's he's supposed to meet him for something called a client screening. I'm not really clear on what it is, but we do learn, learn later that he's a television ad guy. And he seems to be doing pretty well at his work. Like he's he's not troubled there. Yeah, he, he this character doesn't seem to have any kind of money problems. No. Like it, he just a lot of the times he just hands over the money to people who rob him. Yeah, and, well, he, he just has life problems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, he does. Because there's nothing like it's it's again that just that lifelessness, the same sort of thing that you're dealing with in uh tokyo fist where it's just these people just have no life inside of them and they're they're looking for anything to make them feel alive Mm -hmm. this is yeah this is just another way that that kind of desire can blow up in your face yeah uh and and i guess also notably and kind of in tune with 
uh, Tokyo Fist. This kind of kicks off when he steps into an alley and sees something upsetting. Oh, yeah. So he sees, he steps into an alley and he sees, uh, this is where he sees the girl, right? Yeah, but there's also something in the garbage that looks like it's a dead body. And oh. it, like, and that's what we see first. We see his eyes traveling up what kind of looks like a dead body wrapped up in the garbage. And then he his eyes go up, and that's where Chisato is, who's our main danger girl. She, she at first, I thought she was going to be like a manic pixie dream girl, and maybe no. she kind of is, but not 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 really. That's not what she's – she's got her own thing going on. It's a much more toxic version than that. Uh, and yeah. notably, like, he's he's got a really nasty bite mark on his hand from when she bit him previously, uh, when he pulled her out of the path of a subway train. Yeah, well, they were, we later find out they were playing, she was quote-unquote playing a game. Playing the subway game. The subway uh, game, yeah. But it's we'll that's also... Later. Yeah, I mean, that that also is just an excuse for them to get someone to uh, touch her, and then they can all mob him and rob them, which happened to him <laughs> that time. Uh, and then he he follows her, and he's like, hey, do you, do you remember when you bit me and all of that shit? And when, like, I, I pulled you out of the path of the train? What was that about? And he's like, do you want sex? <laughs> and like he's he's taken back for a second and she calls the gangs like there's this guy who wants to have sex with me and they all show up and beat him up and rob him. Yeah. Which, again, is clearly an excuse because he clearly isn't interested in her that way. Yeah. He's just trying to figure out what's going on. But like he's also looking for some sort of spice of life. And this is someone who might be able to put him onto a gun. Well, there's that, too. But I also thought of it as. He saw her, like, doing the subway game, like, he saw her, like, try to commit suicide by train, is mm. what he thought he saw. Maybe he just wants to understand the thought process of someone who's suicidal, and he wants to, like, I kind of saw it as him wanting to sort of use her for that, or get to know her for that. Yeah, I um, suppose I so, for if, sure. Because, like, yeah. she definitely does have this whole danger fixation. She is suicidal. She's sort of looking for death a lot of the time, although it's not... She's it's, it's kind of She's complicated, but, like, yeah. there, there are things that, like, she's not maybe entirely looking for death. She's just kind of looking for thrills. She she's thrill seeking more than anything else, but she's maybe not actually suicidal. She's just kind of yeah. she's she is on a similar path to him where she's looking for something to make her feel alive. Uh, and both of them are very willing for someone else to kill them uh, in the course of doing that. But they can't really make that like they're not suicidal. They're not looking to do that to themselves. Yeah, they're they're looking for death, but they won't. Yeah, not are they looking to they experience like running death. up to death? It's, yeah. it's a thrill you know. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's kind of interesting because for her, I feel like it's it's while well, it has become an addiction, we hear her later say like they're about to go and do this really dangerous thing, and she's scared because what if she survives it? Then she'll have to chase the next high after that. Right. And I kind of think she doesn't actually want to die because of that, but she needs the thrill to feel alive which is a 
right shitty situation to be in. Well, and she's she's pretty over the top by the time we meet her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like they, they beat him up and they rob him. Uh, and this is actually, this was the inspiration for this movie. This happened to Tsukamoto. Someone like robbed him in an alley and he oh. was obsessed with it and he couldn't stop thinking about it. And that kind of became this movie. Oh gosh. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So this is like maybe him processing. His yeah. To, over that. Certainly to some extent. Uh, and like so while they're they're like robbing him and talking about what they're doing like he they're talking he's like oh yeah i remember we we beat up and robbed this guy that other time in the subway like they remember <laughs> the subway game too yeah they, yeah it's like and at this point i think he hasn't even pieced together that the robbing and the rescuing was connected but no yeah no he he, he thought he was rescuing her and then yeah uh, it, it was it was always to beat him up and take his money. Mm-hmm. I love the locations in this movie. Uh, they are similar to like the Tetsuo ones and the Tokyo Fist ones. Just really ominous, angular buildings, a lot of alleyways and pipes and stuff. But more distinctly grounded in reality here. Like they feel less disconnected. Yeah, like it doesn't feel like this whole. Um oppressive just infinite wall of apartments yeah because it feels almost abstract in the other ones as a location whereas here it's grim it's street level it's dirty you you feel like it's you know the the real uh japan Mm -hmm. and of course after getting robbed again goda begins to really obsess over getting a gun although his work's going really well we we see him talking with his colleague and they're like oh man my my daughter's always glued to the screen whenever one of your ads is on yeah apparently he's like super good at his job which could maybe maybe too good maybe he spent too much time at the job and didn't could care be. about her didn't see what she was up to maybe that's but he doesn't he, he doesn't, doesn't make that to, connection he doesn't seem to bring the job home with him at all though because we see him, like these this brief fragment of him leaving work but anytime we see him anywhere else, work is non-existent to him. It it doesn't matter. It's true. it's an interruption. He, yeah, that's true. He he does seem to have like a clear work-life balance. Although I guess we do see him like drinking all by himself without his girl. I we don't learn anything about their relationship prior to her suicide. No, nothing at all. And and like that's what I'm saying is just there there is nothing really. Like it's it's entirely projection. Anything that we look at for what uh, caused the girlfriend thing, it's just that like there there's no clear cues for us to look at, and I think that's intentional. Like there's there's not supposed to be anything that we can look at in this movie and say, oh, this is possibly why. It's just, I mean, he he never saw any of it, so we never see any of it. Uh-huh. It, it just it doesn't exist. Yep. Yep. Uh, but like so first. His first attempt at getting a gun, he talks to this guy and he gets uh, he, he's charged two point five million yen for a gun and two bullets. Uh, yeah, which uh, I I don't exactly know, but I think it translates to like my knowledge. Very, very rough and uh, not even close to very knowledge, very basic. But my knowledge is that a yen can be roughly ish about a penny. So two hundred. 250,000 of those is 
2500 bucks. So that's a lot of money to just have for, for something like this. But It's a lot more than that, as a matter of fact. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, 2.5 million Japanese Oh, 2.5 yen. million. Sorry, I was thinking 25. Go ahead. Just tell me, because I'm not going to say it. 2.5 million Japanese yen is about 21,000 U.S. dollars. So, you know, he's paying like about half a year of my of what I make today uh, to pay to buy this gun. Yeah, and we do know he is reasonably well off because much later on we'll see Chisato break into his apartment and just find it fabulously entertaining because it's just this luxury apartment place she's never been before. Yeah, He's rich. Yeah. It just yeah, doesn't she really like come up. Ends up kind of playing there almost. Yeah. It's just like he's rich, but it gives him no pleasure. There's just again, we see so little of his life outside of his work because it's like he doesn't have much life outside of work. It's just, you know, he he sometimes leaves work and he drinks and he is unconscious somewhere. (laughs) That's that's pretty Uh much all we really get. And sometimes he's robbed by people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, A lot. A lot of the times, our main characters in the Tsukamoto films are kind of empty shells. Yeah, it's and, interesting. And that's sort of what they're dealing with. Like, the the primary concept is them trying to deal with being an empty shell and finding some way to put life into the empty shell that they are. Uh, so, of course, the the, the gun, he, he gets the, the gun <laughs> that, he, that he spent the yen for. Yeah, after they do, like, the whole complicated exchange... He he comes home and he unwraps it because it's wrapped up. Very and, elaborately wrapped up. Yep. It's, oh yeah. And it is, when he finally unwraps it, like, it's like a whole unboxing video almost. Uh, and he's so excited. And it's a water pistol filled with sand. Yeah, just to sort of vaguely approximate the weight of a gun. Uh <sighs> We we don't even get to see him react to it. We we see him lift it up and just the sand pour out of it, uh, and then just cut to another scene where we get uh, another important character who we'll only see a little bit of, uh, our boxer Shigeo, and a bunch of gangsters who are hanging with him. So at first I thought these gangsters were like supposed to be a yakuza gang. They are absolutely not a yakuza gang. They're like they're like a little street gang. Yeah, they're nothing. They're they're just like kids. Uh, yeah. This guy, the guy who's the dad of the boxer, this, he has a scar on his face and he's like, yeah, yeah, I came up in the black market days after the war. Like, this guy's a real Yakuza. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe uh, retired. Oh, so, so that. Oh, shoot. Yeah, this I guy we're going to see again later. Sure who, I didn't make the connection that that guy later on was this guy. His, yeah. His dad. Now, yeah. a lot more of what happens towards the... Yeah, I mean, I already important. understand. Yeah, it's important that this is his dad. Yeah. So there, there's just a bunch of gangsters hanging out with this boxer. And, like, obviously this boxer is well-connected. And his dad is, you know, he, he seems to be the main guy here. Uh, but the, the street gang show up, are our people... Uh, and Shigeo is razzing Goto about his black eye. He's like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't uh, rob people who, who uh, can hit you better than you or whatever. So I got a little confused with the names because our main character 
there was a Godo and a Gato, was it? Uh, and I, it's I Go- Goda is the main character. Goda. And Goto is the main uh, punk, lead punk. Yeah, the lead punk, the guy with the, the sideburns. Yeah, I mean, like, he's the main one. <laughs> yeah, the main, yeah, the main guy, okay. And that kind of, that that threw me off because I kept getting their names mixed up in the subtitles, so I wasn't sure very who they were talking to or about. Yeah, Goda and Goto. Okay. Uh, so they, they show up and, you know, clearly they're buds. Goto and, and Shigeo know each other. They go back a ways. Uh, and we, we cut to... Shigeo completely demolishing his opponent. And it's it's the one sort of body horror shot. We see the guy get hit a couple times and he's kind of all puffy and weird when he's uh-huh. going down. Quite like the ending of Sport or uh, uh, Tokyo Fist, but not quite as extreme. Not that extreme. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I also kind of a, a throwback to that. We cut to Chisato and Goto in the audience for uh, the the boxing and they both just look totally unimpressed. <laughs> like this danger isn't cool. Like our danger. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's interesting though, that he's friends with the boxer considering mm-hmm. we'll have to talk about that when we get there. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, of course, Goda is just hungry for a gun, just asking anyone he can. He's searching on forums. He's, Got this huge folder of gun JPEGs on his work computer. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's one of the things where uh, their culture is so much different from North American culture. If if Godo was an Amer- a white American who wanted a gun that badly, he could just go and get it. It would He'd have one in like 20 minutes. You could buy it at Walmart. Yeah, no, yeah, it's just like go to they're, Walmart. They're available. Get like, two of them. Canada too. Like yeah. in North America, this is not the dilemma that it is here. Uh, yeah. Here, this just, isn't the plot point. Like this it's guy's like how wealthy. Bad doesn't happen in Canada. Yeah, like this this guy has the money to buy a gun. Absolutely yeah. has the money, but like he does just can't not get one. Have the connections. Yeah, uh, he he does because not have no the consumer ability. Way. But then yeah. someone on a forum is like, okay. Uh, I, I I have some ideas on how you could build a gun. You could just build a toy gun or fabricate. So here's the part where I thought I was like, okay, I need right. to get high for this movie because he's going to make this homemade gun and it's going to be badass. Like it's going to be a story about how this homemade gun gives him, empowers him and maybe breaks him in the end. And oh, yeah, it's no. kind of that, but it's not that. Yeah, I mean, this, and this that's gun where I made a long. huge mistake. Yeah, the, I should have just watched to the end of the scene with the homemade gun. Probably, because this gun is really only in this one scene. Uh, yeah. I really like him. It's like it's it's kind of a neat gun, you know. We we have him fabricating all these pieces. He even makes his own bullets. It's really interesting, and I I wanted it to work, kind of. I, I was cheering for the gun. It seems not dissimilar to the thing that uh, Sartana has. Actually, that's kind of what it reminded me of, too. It's like, hey, you like people do make functional guns this way, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like a little miniature snub nose pistol. Yeah, something like like something that you would be unrecognizable so that you, that you could use it to the get by an airport like like a James Bond kind of gun. Yeah, although like probably lighter, not. 
not so much with this one, which it, it no. is very much just like a, a, a cheaply made kind of fabricated gun that is yes. homebrew. Uh, and it's clearly just a gun. Uh, so we, we, we see him follow the gang to a club and he's like in his car pointing his homebrew gun at them through the windshield. Uh, and I really like just there's a we see him clicking the trigger and it was click, click, click. And then the power of when they go into the club, just the, the booming industrial noise of the place. Oh yeah. Like the, it, the gunshot, like the smash cut and the sound of the industrial music makes it sound like a gunshot. Yeah. It's super cool. Yeah. Uh, and we, we also see him with a bullet clamped in his teeth, very much a callback to the way they drag the metal coil between their teeth in Tetsuo. That is the exact thing that it reminded me of, and it still gave me shivers. I have problems with teeth things. Absolutely. Uh, Meanwhile, the gang is in the bathroom. There's a few other callbacks to the first one that there's another one we'll get to. Of course, there's lots. Uh, The gang is in the bathroom smoking meth and crack or something, it seems like. Uh, I think, I don't know if they do it here or later. They eventually end up injecting speed. Um, heroin, I think. Well, uh, the big hair guy is into heroin. Uh, here right. already. Yeah, yeah. The guy the with the big hair, hair and the who has the cell phone all the time. Yeah, who it turns out he's calling his mom, which is yeah, adorable. Most of the time. But well, he he might tragic. be calling he might be calling a bunch of different people, but he's just you know he's the cell phone guy. He's the big hair guy. Yeah, he's got the pompadour, the aviators. He's the yeah, he's the stereotypical punk dude from this era. Uh, and Goto strictly weed. Uh, Goto is is kind of vanilla. He kind of has just one foot in, one foot out with this stuff. Yeah, like we, we see later, one of his things is he kind of actually wants to get out of the game and go legitimate, and just never seems to be able to do it. Well, he but has he a makes good some job. Steps. Yeah. He he has another job. He's doing well, and he totally could. It's just he's sort of in this life, and this is his social life. But yeah, like yeah. he can't really shed it. So Goda comes into the club, of course, and he goes into the ladies' room and he grabs Chisato and he takes her outside in the alley and threatens her with the gun, the his fake gun. Yeah, and she just she does what she does. A lot of times, this is going to become like imagery, like recurring imagery. She just stands there, kind of like with her arms spread out. Well, she takes some clothes off. She she grabs his hand with the gun and starts pointing it all over herself. Oh yeah. And she like um, forces the the gun up to her own head, and like puts her own finger on the trigger. And she's like, oh, yeah. she's her eyes are bulging. And she's like fighting him for the gun. Yeah, she's like. She's got like this look, this like do it, do it, do it. Did I did I imagine that she did the arm out thing here? Uh, she might do it like briefly, yeah. but like then she takes like she takes a top off. She's like grinding against him. She's like pulling the gun, uh, like up her body. Mm-hmm. Well, meanwhile, behind her or behind him rather, uh, one of the one of the gangsters is coming up. Uh, Godo Godo comes out. Yeah, uh, he he comes outside and. Goda immediately pulls the gun away and fires it, and it sort of works. <laughs> it works, but it. But the first thing I notice is there's no bullet hole. Now, Sukamoto doesn't usually skimp on special effects, so it's not like a like a western where 
they just spin and fall over and you're just meant to know they're dead. This gun didn't do anything, did it? And it turns out. It sort of did. He said that hurt you, bastard, because like, you know, it fires like, you know, a bit of fire, you know, sting. Mm. Uh, Oh, yeah, but it's not nowhere near enough force to propel a bullet. It's not launching a projectile. Yes. Uh, And of course, he gets beat up and left in the alley again. (laughs) Yep. The third time he's been beat up by this by this same gang. Uh, and he's still there later on when they're rolling some other businessman, some other salary man. <laughs> yeah, right. The, so this just unrelated guy who they're also robbing. Uh, and then the owner of the club comes out, who's also kind of an important character. And he hits the the salary man with a pipe. He's like, don't make a scene at my club. and Take this guy out of here. And, and then uh, Gota tries to shoot the club owner or he like he sh- he shoots the club owner with his gun. Like he points the gun at him and pulls the trigger and it fires. But the guy does kind of just like he fakes him out for a second. He's like, oh, I'm shot. And then he kicks Goto in the face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah, that's right. Goto like shot him, tried to shoot him while he was like laying in the alley. Yeah. And he just gets kicked again. He's got this gun. Did not bring him any closer to finding out why his wife k- killed herself, and it did not bring him any power or any satisfaction, and he got the shit kicked out of him by two different people in twice in one night. It's him trying to do taxi driver. It's him trying to like, oh, well, I'll I'll do the taxi driver ending, and, and that will give me the closure I need. But of course, he doesn't have a real gun, and it just doesn't work out that way. Uh, yeah. And then we cut to Chisato and the club owner dancing because the two of them are sort of danger sluts together. That's their Mm -hmm. thing. He's like, oh, I have my favorite new scar from jumping in front of a car. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. And the so this guy looks like kind of a sleazeball and he ends up being sort of the brains of the punk operation. I think he's there. He, he like he's a bit older than them. Like he he owns yeah. a club, and the rest of them are like you know kids. Uh, I I think he's their money. I I think he's just like the backer. This is like a really extreme always sunny. Yeah, kind of. There there's <laughs> an an always sunny flavor to it. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny because I actually thought of the gang of villagers in the next movie we were going to talk about. The gang stages a kid kidnapping. <laughs> So this is, I guess, the gang. Yeah. Yeah. I lost it. Lost the thread. <laughs> uh, so we have a flashback to Chisato also playing the subway game, uh, but not the time that Goto was there. So, like, it's just a thing that she does sometimes. Yeah. Th- and, like, this time we see that she's close enough. So the point is actually to lean back and not see how far back you can go without getting hit by the train. And her boots are actually being scraped by the train. That's how close she is. And they're watching her do it. Well, most of the gang is like, yeah, go and go. Go go to is like worried. Yeah. Goto isn't into it, but like Goto again, like he's the one who's sort of got one foot out. Uh Uh, But like, she's totally into it. Like she's yeah. leaning back into the train. She's ready to die for fun, for thrills. Uh, but meanwhile, we see Goda get a hold of the big-haired guy, guy with the pompadour, and he beats him up. 
and he, he finds out that they're going to do a hit on another gang the next day. Because again, these are kids. If he gets a hold of one of them, he can beat them up. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. They're they're only dangerous because there's a bunch of them, and you know they have knives, but yeah. like they don't have guns. No, they he wants do a not. gun. Yeah, yeah. None of the nobody else in this. Well, one other person in this whole movie has a gun. Much later. Uh-huh. So he he finds out that they're doing this hit on another gang the next day. So he takes the day off work so he can be there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, boss. Uh, I need a day off work. Uh, I, I need to go watch some high schoolers beat up some other high schoolers. I need to take an important personal day. Uh, and then, like, I'm not quite sure how this totally like how he ends up here but like he witnesses this guy peeing on someone's car to attract the guy out and then this other gang like not this gang but a rival gang uh which is led by i think or i i don't know if it's led by but it includes koji tsukamoto who is like the other boxer in tokyo fist oh okay cool uh, and and it's his gang, and they they all show up and they mob this guy whose car was being peed on, and like, Goda is just like just around the corner hearing it happen, uh-huh. and like they stab that guy to death, uh, and I'm not quite sure why he's there for this, but it it is an important sequence because like yeah. that has repercussions later. Yeah. Oh, before this happens, we see him talking to this like woman and he puts this cap on her, which reminded me a little bit of like, I want to say it's the wire where they like identify someone by by, like having a dude put a hat on them. Like Bubbles putting the the red hat on people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember exactly what it is and it's not really mentioned, but that's what it reminded me of. Like she was I. Like he was identifying this woman some way and the woman does huh. come back, but the woman definitely somehow. does come back. Yeah. She, uh, she comes to him pretty much right. The next scene or uh-huh. like not the next scene, but like, this is where we like, after we see this guy get stabbed to death and this other gang take off, we don't really know what's going on there. Yeah. We see that Goto, uh, gets a promotion at work. Uh, and and like yeah, he's doing really well at his real job. So like this gang stuff, it's just kind of this other thing that he's doing. He's sowing his wild oats, you know. He's on his yeah, way to yeah. be just a regular salary man. Yeah, he he seems to even like his uh, his job, his yeah. day job. Like he he seems he he seems like by day he's all put together and and clean cut, and you wouldn't guess that he's this punk. Yeah. Uh, and then when Gota gets home from his work, the lady from the night, like the the wife of the guy who was murdered, is waiting there with a gun. She's like, I'll give you this gun if you marry me. Uh, and because she's a Filipina sex worker, so she needs to be married to stay in the country and continue to work. Uh-huh. So just for strictly business purposes, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. marry me, and- I'll give you the gun. And she's like, if you want, I'll even come by and be your wife some days. If you yeah. want, you don't even have to. Just marry me for a gun. And he's like, yeah, okay, sure. Here we go. Signs a paper right away. Yeah, killer deal. Uh, I'm so in. 
yep. and he he also gets into body modification. He burns a stripe on his arm with like a pot handle. Yeah, I I thought it was like a metal file that he. Used. Oh, maybe that. Yeah, I guess it's a file. But yeah, it's a hot piece of metal that he just like scorches a black rectangle on his arm with. Yeah, it's it's less extreme than any of the other body modifications we've seen in Tsukamoto, but it's still it's still there. Yeah, and like still all of it's these more, same sort of themes. And this is yeah, again, this is the realistic one, and yeah, the others are the sort of grounded one. Yeah, the the other ones are amplified versions of kind of the same stuff. Yeah, he, I feel like he like started with like really abstract and then just slowly got more grounded. I'm I'm curious like how how down to earth the next one's going to be. It's going to be like underground. It's well, going to be like pure raw. Well, for <laughs> something for our next one, we're going back to Haruko the Goblin, which is oh, the that's second right. film. Yes. So that'll probably be man. So that'll be crazy. different. Yeah, that'll be different. I'm sure. And I've seen the next one, Gemini, and I recall it being very dreamlike and weird. Uh, it's Ooh. it's a it's historical, like it's set. Oh. In, I think the early twentieth century. Oh, it's okay. Been a while since I can't quite remember. Oh yeah, he hasn't. I hadn't. He hasn't done a historical yet. Yeah, everything's been, been contemporary. Watched. Yeah. Uh, at this point, Goda is always watching this endless loop of war and gun footage, and he's like pointing and posing with the gun all over the place to rev himself up. Oh yeah, um, it, I think earlier we see him like making a film edit of a video pointing a, a little pistol at different things and like bombs exploding and houses exploding. Yeah. Uh, he he's got all of this stock footage of war and in like mm -hmm. this is how he gets himself revved up is just watching yeah. these loops Tr trying to psych himself up i think to be able to use this gun he's like hitting himself in the face with the gun mm -hmm. and and all all this stuff it's uh, so then we get to the gang hitting the enemy gang oh this 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 is rough it's pretty wild uh it it's it's interesting uh, how different people sort of react at the point where they realize reality is real. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, Goda shows up and starts shooting pretty early and everyone just kind of runs at first and the two gangs get separated. Yeah. Uh, but then like our gang, quote unquote, you know, the, the good <laughs> the guys <one> following, <laughs> they, they meet up with the club owner guy who he like, he's, he shows up uh, separate from them and he's got like a big fist knife, you know, like a brass yeah, knuckles, like a but a brass big knife. Knuckle, but yeah, with a <laughs> knife at the end, it's this big spike. He makes like a show. He makes like an entrance with it by getting out of the car and stabbing it down into the concrete kind of like scrapes it along the ground like a video game character. Yeah, <laughs> like like look at me. I'm the badass here. Don't forget it. And they all just like wait around the corner as the rival gang comes running up. Uh, and they pretty much massacre them. Yeah, well, it's it's a lot of like it's a lot of looping around to ambush to like isolate people and ambush them. Uh, yeah. they go back and forth like that a lot, but every time they catch somebody, they brutalize them. And and our quote unquote gang does win. Yeah, like one of them has a bat with nails in it. The cell phone guy is uh, stabbing the shit out of someone and laughing on the cell phone the whole time. Yeah, uh, like th these guys are doing murder, and the other gang was just doing 
beat ups, I think. No, they were doing murder because they oh. they stabbed that oh, yeah, guy no, to death the previous the guy. night. Yeah, you're right. They're all in the same biz. Everybody's doing the murder. Uh, but like you know, it's it's still you know it gets pretty real. Some of these people are getting killed, but not anyone on the the gang that we know. So they're all still kind of untouched by it. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, still they're still living their like their crazy high woo fantasy. Thrill fantasy. Their adrenaline, their adrenaline fantasy. Yeah. Uh, and then the rival leader, like the the leader of the other gang, uh, he breaks away and he smashes up the club owner's car with a bat. And then you know the club owner starts chasing him with the fist knife, but Chisato decides to go after him instead alone. Uh, and I guess we've I didn't mention the the facts. That like Goda had received a fax at some point in like the previous day saying Chisato will die at midnight. Oh yeah, like that comes up a lot, but where did it come from? It came from Chisato. She sent it. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> we learn a little bit later that like she definitely is the one who sent it. Oh wow, that uh, I missed that. Okay, all right. And that's that why he's all sense. worked up for this. <laughs> yeah. And. I think she's just trying to like provoke this loose cannon to add a sense of randomness into it. Maybe yeah, it's a feeling that I got a lot of the time because she he always shows up and she keeps kind of evol- involving him, sometimes reluctantly, sometimes straight up asking him. Yeah, like she actually seeks him out later. There, There's I don't know, like maybe it's just she, he's the only adult they know <laughs> who isn't like this. uh creepy club owner guy oh yeah the, the creepy club owner wants none of goto he does not want this guy involved in anything but that we're skipping i'm skipping ahead well and and as well like he is someone who went out of his way to save her uh from something at some point with like he he made that attempt even though it did no good to him and then he's continued to approach her in a friendly way despite like getting nothing good out of it ever <laughs> yeah hmm. it's 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 just kind of a lot of this i have a lot of trouble understanding different people's motivations in this well chisato is very difficult but i think just at a base level she does understand that she can probably trust this guy and that she can probably kind of count on him which ends up being true yeah uh, so he's he's worked up about that and she's like, you know, chased this other guy. She's like when she's chased the rival leader and they're like facing off to fight and like the rival leader has a weapon and he is totally ready to just like go to bat. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, Gota shows up uh, and shoots him in the leg with a real gun this time. And he just falls over and starts crying. <laughs> he starts crying. He's like, oh, this is what I've been doing. This yeah. is what this is what this is. It's, this it's is what total I'm doing. shock. Just such surprise at the actual like this is reality suddenly coming crashing down on him. Just like him lying there wailing. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Never oh, see man. that in a gang movie. No, he just like if if his confident if his confidence was a balloon, this is it going. Yeah, it's it's all gone. It's gone. Yeah, that's and that's such a that's actually like one of the one of the images that kind of sticks with me for this. It's like it's not a game these guys are playing, and and 
while they are doing all the killing, they don't realize it until, well, it's like you said, it comes crashing down on each of them at different points. Yeah, it needs to present, like, the reality of the situation needs to individually present itself. Like, each of them needs to realize it on their own, and it doesn't work if someone else realizes it in front of them. (laughs) Uh So the club owner is like, okay, you guys take this leader guy back to the club. We'll deal with him there. And uh, a couple of you take Gota back home. And Chisato and Goto take Gota back to his house. (laughs) Just hang out with him at his apartment for a while. Yeah, yeah. And he tells them about his girlfriend's suicide. It's like, yeah, and I I don't, I've been trying to understand what could have happened or why, and I I don't understand. Yeah, and and then Goto, oh shoot. Goda. Goda says, like, she committed suicide because, like, because you weren't, you couldn't understand how she was feeling. But but it's not just you, nobody could understand, nobody tried to understand how she was feeling. And I was like, did he know her or is he just saying some random thing? I don't know. Like, it is possible that maybe he had some relation to her, but I don't think he knew her because, like, no. he didn't did have a gun. The- no. Right. Like, so there, she, the, 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 the trouble that she was in is not related to these people. Yeah. But like, I, but I, for a second, I thought it might be. Yeah. But I mean, no, like, these guys are too, these guys are too, too low, too low for that. Yeah, they, no, they are not kids. actually Yakuza. But like, he, he kind of knows how to touch the nerve. I mean, this, yeah. this is the, the superpower of any teenager is knowing how to just like, find the exact nerve to press with uh, yeah. uh, an adult. <laughs> so uh, he, you know, he's like, you know, the, her suicide is your fault and you'll never understand it. And you'll never understand her. And uh, Goto wants Goto to shoot him. And and he has the gun to his head for a bit. And he, he but he can't do it. And he's like, uh-huh. do it yourself. And he drops the gun and gives it back to him for a sec. And he tries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he points it while Chisato's watching him like a hawk. He's like pointing it at his like cheek or under his chin and then in his mouth. And he just doesn't. It's, yeah. It's just him across the room from Chisato and just her staring directly at him, him staring at her. And he has, this is the only time we really get much of Kiriko, his girlfriend. We, get a series of flashbacks, but like just very short flashes. Yeah. We not enough to learn anything about her. Yeah. It's basically like, these are probably, or very much the, these look like signs he may have missed or ignored. And they're him kind of him, him remembering moments that like, was this a sign? Was this something that I missed? Is this something that I totally went over? And he's trying to psych himself up, but yeah. He doesn't he doesn't get any closer here and neither do we. Nope. And they take the gun because we, we don't see them take the gun. but We do see him pointing the finger gun at himself in the mirror again because he's mm-hmm. back down to that. The gun has been taken from him. But what we yeah. do get is my favorite, just pure, silly joy moment of the movie. The movie that's pretty light on them <laughs> where they're at an amusement park and they're just waving around the handgun openly on a roller coaster. <laughs> oh yeah. They're, they're having like, 
because because the club owner told told them to get the gun away from this guy because he's a loose cannon. So they're having their own gun party. And they have a gun now. So like they're they the top gun. gang they, all of a sudden. They are <laughs> the, yeah, they are the top gang. They can do anything. And we see they're them go invincible. on a bit of a spree. They're, yeah. they're robbing people all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Um, still not killing anybody with it, but nope. they are like pointing it at people. It's like, wow, it's so much easier to get people to give us everything they have. Which does feel like an It's Always Sunny thing. Like, there's that episode of It's Always Sunny where they get the gun. It does kind of feel yeah. like a montage from that episode. Like, I could see <laughs> Charlie and Mac on the front of, uh, <laughs> like, a Six Flags roller coaster with, like, a revolver <laughs> or something and a duster. Absolutely. Uh, but, like, <laughs> the, the other thing is that the club owner is like, okay, Goto, I need you to kill someone with this gun. I don't care who it is, but you need to kill someone to redeem your honor. Uh, just maybe some homeless person's fine. Just anyone who disgusts you. Yeah, yeah. Not very specific, but you got to kill somebody to prove you really are in with us. Yeah, and I guess it's to do with him getting this promotion at his job. And they're like, we want you to show that you're really all in with the gang. Yeah, we, we don't want you to get out of this life you you belong to us. Don't, yeah. Don't think of leaving your job or leaving us for your job. Right. And then Chisato calls Gota about Goto waiting somewhere with the gun. Yeah, like he's been standing around for he's been standing with the gun for for like an hour on this one if, street corner. Yeah, and if they what did she say if the police find oh that's find what him it is. with the gun. They'll take the gun and you can't get it back. Exactly. That's what that's what gets him to move on this. It's like not worrying about Goto. It's you can't have the gun anymore if the police stop him. Yeah. Uh, and while he goes to deal with it and they keep talking on the phone, like on, on cell phones, she breaks into his apartment. And like the whole time they're having this adventure, she's like partying in his apartment. <laughs> I think this ha I think she's playing like two games here. One, she doesn't want her friends to get caught by the cops and wants maybe this guy to the talk about of the dumbass thing he's doing by trying to kill a person. And two, she wants to rob this asshole. Oh sure. She she's, I, she's having some fun she's robbing doing, him. Like she, she's killing two birds with one stone here, I think. Well, and she also wants to mess with him because she does yes. later like make it clear that she is in the apartment and she kind of screws with his head. Uh, yeah, she wears, oh gosh, she, yeah, <laughs> it, it did upset me. She, she, she wears the, the, uh, the dead wife's or the dead girlfriend's dress. Well, she does a few things. Yeah, uh, she, does. she has what I would say is my favorite line in the whole movie here. She, uh, says a cop is just a dirty mind in a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> Cause like Godo yeah. is stalking a bicycle cop. <laughs> yeah. And Goda interrupts before he shoots the cop and Goto runs off. Cause like, you know, if he goes after that, it, like if he goes after a cop, he's definitely getting caught right then and there. Yeah. Yeah. And this cop is like totally harassing Goda and like getting up in his face. Yeah. And they, the three of them have like a little miniature chase scene. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the bike cop Goda and Goto, they're 
just, you know, running around in uh, back alleys and, you know, a bunch of places with pipes and stuff. While Chisato is just, like, partying. Like, we, yeah. we see her draw a bath. We see her, like, just uh, playing with all of the stuff in the apartment. Yes, yep. Uh... And Goda's like, come on, give me the gun back. <laughs> oh, yeah. I <laughs> just, think... just give it back. At one point, I think the club owner even says, like, you know, it's actually just easier to give him back the gun. Yeah, and as well, Goda is like, I guess I could shoot Goda. Yeah, he's like, I guess you'll do. And Goda's like totally into it. He's like, yeah, sure, that that works for me too. I could have the gun or you could kill me with the gun. Both of these are acceptable options. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, of course, uh, he can't do it and Uh he leaves. And this is when he goes to see his friend Shigeo. Now... This is the part that confused me. If he, why does he do what he does here? I kind of, I think I missed it. This comes up a little bit later when he's talking to the club owner about it, because the club okay. owner is later. I, I, we'll we'll get to that in a moment. But yeah, okay, okay. He he's talking to Shigeo. Shigeo's doing his workout, and he blows him away. He he kills Shigeo instead of yep. uh, these other people. Shoots him, I think, like in the stomach. Yeah, there's a lot of blood, It's but we don't, like, see shooting or anything. We just see a splash of blood. Uh, th- this one isn't yeah. much for that, that direct stuff. And then, meanwhile, we also have Chisato kind of threatening suicide with a razor. She is in the tub. She's humming the same tune from the beginning. Oh, yeah. That Goda's girlfriend was humming on the phone. And he's, That's you know, racing home to her in the apartment. He's again thinking that it's going to be the same situation again. Yeah. And he's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, when he gets in and like sees steam from the bathroom and she just left the yeah. shower running. The ba- Well, the bath just running. The over, bath yeah. running. Yeah. And like had just gone. like one of those detachable shower heads that she, she put on the floor of the bathroom yeah. and she's just gone. <laughs> The ultimate <laughs> fuck you to this to this guy. Like, yeah. Uh, just wow. And then we have a nice meditative montage, as we tend to get in each of these. This is like the moon montage, except this one it's just kind of rainy. We see Chisato outside, and she's rebiting her own bite wound, which is exactly like the one she gave him. Yeah. Uh, so like it's it's sort of this meditative montage. We we see all of that stuff happening, and then we see a couple dead bodies. Uh, it, it's early the next morning, and there's a body with a bag over its head and a gunshot wound in it. It's one of the members of the gang. I, I think maybe the guy who had the bat with the nail in it. Oh yeah, yeah. And this is where the club owner is like saying, "Killing that boxer basically just finished us." Yes, he's like, this was a bad move. This is going to end the gang. Uh, we, we see two dead gang members here in the montage. There's one guy dead with a bag over his head, and then there's another one who's in, like, this metal cage thing. It's it's like, I don't know, maybe it's a water tower? Yeah, I, I'm but not like, really sure what it was, but... Some yeah. disused piece of industrial whatever, just like, you know, he, he's he's just left propped up there with a, with a bullet in his head. And then, so yeah, the club owner is berating Goto about it. And it's like, this was a stupid thing to do. Uh, and I, I think he's kind of 
alluding to like he did this because uh, Shigeo is someone who had goals and drive and ambition. And that's something that's just that is exactly what he does not have and does not get. Like he's got his his work life and he's doing that just fine. But like it's meaningless to him and he, he just kind of pursues this thrill life instead. Okay, and he was so he was just kind of jealous of how Shigeo was. Yeah, sort of jealousy. Able to find a purpose. I I I guess and like I I feel like it's sort of him going off the anyone who disgusts you line, just to the mm. him with this person who has this ambition to become something as a fighter, just that that is is totally anathema to his own existence. Yeah, but. It turns out, of course, to be an absolute terrible idea. Oh, of course. As it's... the guy says, it like the club owner like knows what's going to happen. He's like, I might as well give up right now. Yeah, the, the blowback is very rapid. Uh, and Chisato comes to Gota. She's like, we need your help. <laughs> we'll give you the gun back. Defend us against this mob. I'm not sure why they figure he's going to be better at it than them. Well, the club owner didn't even want to uh, involve him. Nobody He's did. Like, no, Shisato's anyone, the only one but him. Did. But Shisato was like, yeah, so, yeah, I'm not sure why. But, like, they have a bit of bonding before he goes there. They they hang out on a roof. Uh, she slaps him a bit. They do mm-hmm. the, the thing where they lean back. Yeah. It's on the cover art. They just kind of wander around town and bond silently, which is interesting. So... Talking about callbacks to the first Iron Man, I'm going a little bit off topic here, but did we miss the part? Because there was a part where there was just a long repeated moshi 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 on the on the phone. Uh, I don't remember. Oh, because there was one. Uh, I think we passed it, but I don't remember the context that happens. But there seems to be one of those in every Sukumoto film. Yeah, there's a lot of that kind of thing. And there, there's a lot of different callbacks like this as well. This this sort of bonding sequence has a very similar flavor to the bit where uh, in Tokyo Fist, where they have the sort of the, the girl beats up the guy yeah, in the and parking they, garage and they kind of just sit and they they kind of get to know each other again, finally. Yeah. And the part where they're just like sitting after beating the shit out of each other, the kind yeah. of felt like the post fight club sequence. Right. And this kind of feels like that too. And there there is that moment where she like gets mad and she slaps him a bit and then they just kind of wander around uh before they show up at you know the hangout to be there and like Godo's like I don't like this. This is stupid. This is the wrong person to call in. Uh and Godo like puts the gun to his head and he's like, "Oh, what what do you want? You want me to shoot you? Is that what you want?" And it's weird. Yeah. Like it's clearly like, yeah, I don't really know why he was chosen to do this, but here he is, and now he's involved. Now he's involved. Now he's because he's gonna save them all. Uh, yeah, and most of them he's do our heroin. Hero. Yeah, <laughs> we we see pretty much everyone doing heroin while they're waiting for an assassin to show up and kill all of them. And I was like, is he going to like suddenly grow a gun hand and save the day? He nothing even close to that happens. Uh, Chisato falls asleep. Goda goes and puts her to bed. And then he's waiting for the assassin at the top of the, of the stairs. And the guy shows up. 
Yeah, so uh, this is the father of the of the boxer, right? Yes, the the guy with the scar on his face who came yeah. up in the black market days post. Yes, the, the the real deal guy. Yeah, very real deal guy. Very real deal guy, as we're gonna see. Uh, and like, he he shoots one of the punks and the club owner pretty quick. Club owner gets it in the head, dead right away. Yep. Uh, and Gota gets shot too, but he's not killed. He just gets wounded. Uh, and then there's a pause, and then the the ringing cell phone gives away the position of the big hair guy with the rest of them, and then oh, the killer yeah. comes in and takes out all of them. Yeah, and, and the guy like he says on the cell phone is like, "No, mom, I'm not coming home for dinner tonight." Yeah, no, mom, is, I won't be home for dinner. And then, which is him realizing that this yeah. isn't actually a game they're playing, or his yeah. moment, I think. Yeah, well, and then he's he's killed. Uh, he's everyone, killed right there. Yeah, everyone but Chisato and Goto is killed in like a, a space of a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. all executed. They uh, got Gota. Shit. Goda is the main character. Goto Goda is the other guy. The leader. Yeah, so Goda punk. confronts the assassin. Yeah, he comes running, gunning. <laughs> yep. Uh, he shoots the guy twice, but. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have like great aim. He's not good with a gun. So he gets there and he's out of bullets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he got a couple hits, but he's got like he puts the gun to the gangster's head, but he has no bullets. And then the gangster puts his own gun to go to his head, but he also is out of bullets. Yeah. So it's a so it's a fight without a gun and gangster's going to win. Yeah. He he does this pretty sick move where he just like like snapping a wet towel he just shakes all of the blood off out of his sleeve because yeah. that's where he got shot in the arm it, it, it reminds me of like the samurai thing where you shake the blood off of your sword yeah it's his gun arm right yeah. so kind of like that and he kind goes of. into the room where goto and shisato are and he just savagely beats the shit out of them but mm. those two don't get killed he just beats them up and then he just kind of like walks past Gota like he's not even anything. Because he isn't. Because he isn't. He made no difference. Nope. Uh, and then later we see Goto just dragging and piling up all the bodies of the gang members, pouring a bunch of gasoline on them and burning them in a stack in the field outside. And wailing and just other anguish as... It's emotional catharsis. This is the yeah. first real emotional catharsis we've gotten in a while. Like, I, I the, Tokyo Fist, it's a violent emotional catharsis, I guess. There's the, the catharsis of the violent beating of each other. This mm-hmm. is the first one that someone actually just comes to an emotional realization and just, like, lets it out yeah. in one of these, yeah. I feel. Yeah? I th- yeah, I think so. Just him burning the bodies of his friends it's it's a very raw image oh yeah just like this stack of burning bodies and him just standing wailing at the sky in his leather jacket and jeans and stuff and of course goda and chisato just kind of sitting broken watching in the background it's pretty beat up yeah i i like they were so so motionless and so emotionless as well I thought I wasn't sure if they had ended up dying from like yeah. blood loss or whatever until I they, they actually might be start dead. moving. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's, it takes a while until they do. So like, I really thought they might've died. 
and it does sort of feel like that and it, it's it's a really unusual and kind of uplifting ending in a yes. weird sort of way because they're like okay we're gonna go our separate ways and they go away from each other yeah, and they're, the they're further literally, <laughs> literally going their separate ways yeah like two opposite directions and it's like they gain energy and life the further apart they get yeah like they're both wounded it's like it's like they're slowly doing the kaiser soze lib to normal walk yeah except like they're actually getting better because they're uh-huh. moving away from these things that are destroying them like they're, yeah. they're getting away from their destructive impulses i guess in uh essence and yeah that that is the end uh but pretty... dot 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 why did wife kill herself oh I, that was a butcher of the voice I was trying to do VJ Emmy. It did not work. <laughs> it, was, it was more of like if VJ Emmy were like Soviet. <laughs> yeah. Why did wife kill herself? I probably shouldn't <laughs> ever do the VJ Emmy voice anyway. I, it's probably Perhaps. probably not a good thing for me to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't find out, pretty... but that's not the point. No, it, it was never the point. Uh, it, it was what he wanted to know, but it's not something that he was ever going to know. Yeah, uh, it's it's just got to move on without it. Yeah, it's a heavy one. Like this one. This one is. Yeah, this one hits. This one's pretty pretty heavy. Like it's it's a beast. Uh, just I, I like I I frequently see it described as a gut punch of a movie, and that is very <laughs> yeah. accurate. Yep, I, I can I agree with that. Uh, it's. It's interesting to see Sukamoto in a very realistic uh, milieu. That's that's unusual. We haven't really seen one that looked anywhere near this realistic before. One oh, one thing I wanted to mention: every single one of the characters that Sukamoto plays in these films is disfigured or gets disfigured in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like here, it's it's the bite um, in Tokyo Fist. I don't remember which one he was, but it doesn't matter. One of them gets disfigured. They both they get, all get disfigured. Dis- everyone gets disfigured. Um, he's the guy in the second Iron Man. Oh, no, he's the he's the rival in the two Iron Mans. Yeah, he's the metal fetishist in the first one. Yeah. And in the second one, he's got like that that hair lip thing going on. So he's always got some kind of like physical disfigurement in these, which. I think it's interesting. I, I don't quite know what it means, but I think it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, they're all very damaged people. They all have these festering wounds that kind of are the only source of life in them. Because, <laughs> uh-huh. like, again, with, with the, the bite wound from Chisato, and, you know, she's the danger girl, and it's just like, this is he's gotten himself into this danger obsession and this is sort of what he's doing to get kicks, but it's not life. It's not anything that's actually affirming his life in any sort of way. It's just, it's something he does to, because he thinks it's going to make him feel alive, but ultimately it's just more self-destruction, just a different flavor of it. Kind of like, you know, what they're doing in Tokyo Fist. Yeah. Yeah. This movie I think could be called, self-destruction the movie 
Yeah, it's it's a bullet ballet kind of suggests something like there's going to be a lot of shooting and action and like bullets flying everywhere, like a ballet of bullets. Mm. It's very much not that. <laughs> no, no, it, it's about the guns, but not in a it doesn't glorify it. It doesn't wow. Well, it does not glorify gun use at all. Yeah, no, this this is not a pro gun picture. <laughs> nope, nope. But yeah, no one became a gun in this one. Uh, nope, <laughs> nobody turned into one. But uh, they 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 were destroyed by guns. A few people yep. were destroyed by them. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I was mentioning in, mentioning in the group chat. This is one of the very few movies I can think of where the main guys just like the protagonists just absolutely lose completely and totally. Yeah. Uh, they 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 move on, but they just they just get beat. Like the other example I thought of was uh, in, in Infinity War, but they get better there. And you know they're gonna get better. I think another one would be like um, that movie with the mist uh, the and mist. the monsters in the mist, and they're trapped in the, the grocery mist. store. And the ending of that, yeah, the mist. That's what it's called. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to spoil the ending for that, but that's it. Just. The heroes don't win. Yeah, it's, like it's, super don't win. Yeah, downer ending. Uh, and, and this one is, it's it's weird because there's the downer it, ending, it but there's that, like there's the uplift. uplifting bit at the yeah. end. Like even though they just crushed, I guess you can come back from being crushed. Well, the thing is, like all those other people, those were all the ones who didn't have a future. You know, Goto has a future. Yeah. He, he he has a, a foot outside of the life, uh, yep. and this de- the destruction of all of them leaves him to become. Uh, he has to leave that part of his life behind now, but like he now can leave that part behind. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So like so, there is sort of a brightness to it in a weird sort of way, even though yeah, you know, it's brutal. Even though they yeah, putting away childish things, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, oh man. So of course this movie was so heavy. It's very heavy. So this is replaced with Haruko the Goblin, uh, the second Tsukamoto film, the one that came out in between the two Tetsuos. I have not seen this one yet. I don't know a lot about it. Yeah, I I haven't even read the blurb of what it's about yet. So so it's there's a school built on the gates of hell. Okay. And there's. This Haruko, who's a goblin sent to Earth to, you know, like, figure out some stuff for hell while they're uh, establishing here. And he uh, so it says he beheads students to assemble their heads on the spider like bodies of the demons. Okay. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Oh, this is early. So this might be in the real body horror part that he phase. From what I hear, it's kind of almost his version of a comedy. It's it's a very uh, goofy and bizarre one. Interesting. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. And that should be fun. All right. So, any final thoughts before we move on to our second film? Um. No, I think I'm good. Uh, use guns responsibly if you're going to use them at all. I personally don't and won't, but. If you do, be responsible with them. They are murder weapons. Don't uh, they don't, don't 
<laughs> don't, I, I don't, don't point them on a roller coaster as much fun as it looks. Uh, yeah, and it does look yeah. really fun. Uh, keep them, keep them uh, holstered if you're on the roller coaster. <laughs> Maybe don't even bring them Maybe on the roller coaster. Maybe don't bring them to the know. roller coaster. Like, <laughs> I mean, use your just, discretion. Use your discretion. Who like, am I to say? <laughs> I don't. Just, just, just be res- be responsible with them. They're not toys. And we're back for our second part, where we're going to discuss the second film in Severin's All the Haunts Be Ours box, uh, Lepterica from the former Yugoslavia. I think uh, current Serbia is is my understanding of the region that this is filmed in. Or oh, that... I, I don't want to say because I don't know when I will get it wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I think I looked it up and it was actually like it's supposed to be set in somewhere that would currently be Serbia. Uh, It's then Yugoslavia. And I think it's actually shot in neither. (laughs) I I, I believe it's shot somewhere else, but I can't remember exactly where I did look it up, but it's been a couple of weeks. Yeah. Directed by. I, I think it's pronounced George Kadievic. Uh It's it's a D O R D E, but I think it, the, the accents on them. I believe it's a George. Oh, <laughs> this this is a linguistic system that I know very little about. I can't comment on any of it. I have no idea how right or wrong you are. I I believe that's correct. Uh, uh, George Kadievic. I'll take uh, your word. Uh, so Lepterica, uh, which means the she butterfly, she butterfly, oddly enough. Yeah, which is interesting because I thought the beast was a guy. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about, there's a reason I thought that. And we'll talk about it. <laughs> and, and it's based on a short story, which I, I didn't write down who the writer was, but it's called After 90 Years. Right. I, I believe it's a, a Gogol. A uh, uh, very famous uh, Soviet author, uh, Nikolai Gogol. I, I've read a number of his books. Uh, Dead Souls is probably his most famous. It's very good. Uh, he also wrote Vi. This might actually be related to Vi, which was also the first uh, Soviet horror film, oh, cool. which was adapted from one of his books. Uh, I, I believe this was a Gogol story. I'm, I'm not totally sure, but I vaguely recall that being a thing in the credits. Um, yeah, I, I, oh, I don't recall who it was. Darn. Uh, I believe it's Nikolai Gogol. But anyway. Okay. Anywho. So this movie is mostly shot outdoors in the woods. Um, very, very pretty woodland scenes. Uh, also very pretty sheep pasture scenes. It's a very rural location. Like, th- this is totally distant from any sort of city or even, like, town. This is just, There's like... only even a couple buildings that we yeah. see. Like, these people live in a rural hamlet that's... It, it could be any time in the past 700 years. Yeah, could be 1300s, place. could be 1800s, yeah. could... Yeah, it could be, like, it could be present day. 1900s. It could be. Yeah, yeah it, it could be any time. It's, it it, it, it is girl, completely, yeah, out of time. Like the guys, yeah, because the guys look like medieval peasants, but the girls, the girl looks like a hippie. Like, right, or like, then, like a beautiful 70s type 
type girl. But yeah, uh, how much of that is just how the actors looked, right? Yeah, it's, it's hard yeah. to say because it could be any period. It, it's it's a fairy tale. Is what it really is. Kind of. And it, or well, it it's, it's like folk one. horror. Is, is yes. the thing. It, it is folk horror. It's it's so specific to the region because like we're very familiar with vampires. I've seen. Mm-hmm. Many a vampire movie, read many a vampire novel. This uh, is this a very is... different vampire from any I've seen before. Similar, but different, yeah. Um, like, the sun thing is not even part of it. Right. I mean, like, uh, they don't seem to come out during the day, but, you know, they they just kind of come out when they uh, want to eat somebody, when, when they want to eat a miller. Yeah, gotta be... <laughs> <laughs> Their favorite flavor. <laughs> Miller Light. <laughs> they're flower zombies. Like they're always covered in flower. It's it's very strange. Yeah. So I, I guess we start essentially with a vampire attack, do we? Uh not no, not quite yet. What we start with is we have a farmer dude uh, oh, yeah, coming back into town. Uh this is our this is our guy Zivan, who is an asshole. The dad of the love interest. The dad of the love interest. Uh, we don't find out that he's an asshole until a little bit later, but he comes to check up on this uh, Miller who's fallen asleep in the thing. He, I guess he lives in this mill. It's like his workplace. I don't yeah. know, because like, we do see our, our other guy later working there. Actually, do we even see him working there? He's just we assigned do, briefly. there. Okay, yeah, I guess. We do, very briefly. Uh, he works there for like five seconds and gets bored. Right. I mean, maybe <laughs> this guy's in exactly the same place. He's working there, but he's just asleep. Because isn't he, like, w- when we get to the, <laughs> the the village council later, aren't they like, the this is council. the fourth I'll... Miller. Fourth oh, Miller yeah. we've been through oh, in yeah. the past three months. What are we going to do? <laughs> well, our, well, Zivad, or Zivak, um, it's written down, but it's written down several pages later because I okay. didn't keep I don't track of names because I didn't know who was going to be important. That's fair. Uh, so he's saying to our Miller guy, he's like, are you not afraid? And the Miller's like, afraid of whom? And, and we hear this like screaming bird in the background. It, it sounds like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it later because I wrote down hmm. later on what I think it sounds like, but it's a very distinctive noise. It's not, it's not quite bird-like. Yeah, um, it is an unusual noise that they've added to the soundtrack that is it sounds animal in nature, but it doesn't sound normal. Like it doesn't sound like something you should be hearing in a normal like, like rural yeah. place. It's it creepy. It's like, it's like the folk monster. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, that's that's basically about it. Uh we see like we see look looking up on the hill, uh we see Zivak's daughter um, tending some sheep. She's always with sheep. And the guy's like, oh, is that your daughter? She's very beautiful, all that. And the guy's like, mm, yeah. Uh, so He's not into it. it. Yeah, nope. And then we get I mean, to nighttime. In, in the guy's defense, she is beautiful. She's very hot. She, oh, yeah. She, she, yeah. Um, yeah. She is. I mean, it's it's central to the whole story. Yeah, she's yes. she's the focal point, and she's she's the great beauty of this town. Yeah, the uh, the face that launched five five or six ships, the Helen of this town. Yeah, I don't think we even get an idea of what this place is called. It may not have a name. <laughs> it might not, because <laughs> I, I 
I think these guys, like our council, they're just farmers in the area. Yeah, they're the guys who run the town, the little area. Like they, they are the village council, such as it is. <laughs> the the village council slash the village idiots slash the whole village. Yeah, they're the gossips. You know, they're 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 just kind of keeping track of everything that's going down. Yeah, but so we cut tonight, and our Miller is asleep in. In the mill, and mm-hmm. this creepy face is peeping in through a crack in the wallboards um, while the miller's napping. And it's, like, very pale. Yeah. Uh, we see the face has, like, scary, long, chompy teeth, uh, a cloak, like, wearing a cloak so you can't really see what the person looks like. Uh, they run their hand through the flower for some reason. They do this... Both mm-hmm. a couple times when they attack the mill. And uh, yeah, uh, it's a bearded face, like almost wolf-like. Like, I thought mm-hmm. maybe it was a werewolf, but it also bites the miller's neck and it's like drinking the blood. So it, it reminds but it's, me But it's like much a... more, it, it, it's more tactile. It's more like an animal than what you typically get, typically get with a vampire myth. There, there's nothing yeah. classy about no. this vampire. No, this is this is a this is like if you crossed a vampire with a werewolf, I think, kind of. But but it's its own thing. It's a very weird thing because it's sort of an undead thing, but it's like a manifestation, like a physical manifestation of like a a body that's in the grave. Yeah, yeah, there's a body in the grave, and it doesn't rise up out of the grave for these attacks, but. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I've, I've even got written down, like, like the va- the creature eats the miller's neck like a feral vampire. Yeah, it's 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 well, it would be gruesome if it were uh, effects above like Yugoslavian TV in the 80s, because that's that yeah. is the budget level we're working with. I believe this well, was made for TV. Is- Oh yeah, yeah 70s. 73 is 70s. when it came out. So So I guess it couldn't have been made for TV. I well maybe. Maybe. Um say. Definitely didn't have a budget. Like they're, they're dressed like kind of like thrift shop Ren Fair people. Well, it, it it they do feel like they're just like actual rural people. <laughs> they they yeah. do feel like I, again, it could have happened at any time in the past 7 or 800 years. This movie and it it any any date that they threw on it would have worked. Mm-hmm. So the next day, a different farmer guy goes in and finds the miller dead. And he goes to tell the other villagers, and they're like, oh, man, him too. Again? Is yeah, not again. Is this the third miller, the fourth miller? I can't I, even keep track. Yeah, and they're like, I don't want to do the work myself. <laughs> I don't want to do milling. Milling sucks. What am I supposed flour. to do? He's How like, are we going to get flour, though? But we, I don't want to do it, though. There's there's one of these guys who has this whole thing that's like, what am I to do? I, I like he, He's talking about having to uh, process his grain on his own in his kitchen like a <laughs> savage. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, like the, these guys aren't outright comedic, but there is kind of a low-key rural comic flavor to them. That sort of thing you get wherever you're it, – it's the same thing in like uh, – oh, wow. I've I've they, lost the word for it. They, but like – They kind of south, remind me of 
uh, American South exploitation. There, there's a there's a name for it that I that is completely eluded me all of a sudden. But These you get this kind of, of characters there me, too. Yeah, they kind of remind me actually of. Uh, um, I came up. I thought of this because I was actually in a performance of a Midsummer's Night stream. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, interestingly, I played. So like, there's for those who aren't familiar, there's this group of like ordinary working joes who are like trying to put on a play but they're just simple simple country folk um from like the country they're just working people i played the guy who was playing the girl interestingly enough which is funny considering how my life went after that yeah but yeah these guys kind of remind me of those guys they're not strictly comedic but they're funny and they're just but they're meant to be just regular working joes and a little on the simple side, but not, not well, again, idiots. Again, in the it could have taken place at any time in the past seven, yeah. eight hundred years. This yep. they're they're the same Shakespeare types. They're these just they're they're bumpkins. They're kind of rustic and backwards, but they're you know uh, still vaguely well-meaning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think these guys are kind of our main characters in this movie. Sort of like it's them or the guy they kind of get to take over the Miller job soon. <laughs> I have some funny. I have some thoughts about that guy uh, who we're going to actually meet pretty quick here. Yeah, I believe that's scene, who we come to. Yep. In our next scene, we see our daughter girl character with her sheep. And like this is the first time we get to really see her up close because the other time we just saw her from a distance on a hill. And the boyfriend sneaks up behind her, and they do, like, a rolling in the woods thing. Roll, roll, roll in the hay. Yeah, of course. Frolic, frolic, frolic. And we find out, basically, that he... um, He wants to marry her, but, like, her dad is, like, not... Her dad is not into it. And she's even like, hey, you shouldn't have told everybody that we're together right um, he's been this, telling this everybody is, yeah and, and she even this guy is dirt poor um, he yeah he he's got nothing he's got nothing she's like i felt like jumping in the creek to end it all but like he has ambitions he feels like nah i'm gonna be a big shot but he doesn't really have any means to become a big shot None whatsoever. He reminds me of James from Twin Peaks, actually. <laughs> yeah, he talks a big talk, but when the chips are down, he is useless. So this is like if instead of that period where James goes and gets involved in like a, a shady uh, showcase neo-noir, uh, he ends up in like rural Yugoslavia dealing with like a weird vampire. I could see that. Yeah, because, well, he went to go... He went to leave on his journey of self-discovery, and it just took him to the mill down the road. From Milan to Minsk. <laughs> <laughs> James's erotic journey. <laughs> so uh, I did not catch this guy's name at all, even though he is our main character. I just have him written down as James. That's totally uh, fair. He, yeah. So the dad, uh, Zivan, or Zivak, is coming up uh, to talk to the girl, and the girl's like, saying to James, like, run, run, and the boy's like, I'm not scared of your dad, and then runs anyway. Yeah. He um, talks a big game. Yeah. And then, like, he's he comes to the dad shortly after this, right? Yeah, right after. Yeah. Um, 
and re- yeah, like really talking a big game. Uh, and he's like, I want to marry your daughter. And the dad's basically like, what? So where is she going to live? Your shed? And he says, shed was big enough for my mom. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the dad just walks away. Yeah, he's like, I'm done with this. This is stupid. He doesn't even say anything. It's like, are, are, are you going to give me an answer? Can I marry her? And it's like, dude. <laughs> it's like, this was your answer. <laughs> I am afraid you are you are out. Uh, but he won't take no for an answer, except sort of. <laughs> yeah, he says, if you don't give her to me, I will take her. And the dad turns around and he's like, I'm going to fucking stab you with this pitchfork if I ever see you again. Yeah. So the next like, scene, huh, well, <laughs> is uh, is him talking the to girl. the council. Oh, he talks no, to he's her talking first. to the girl first, and I'm just a bit, and like there's a long bit of them not actually talking. They're just sitting there, and like their body language is telling it. I'm just imagining what they're conversing or would be conversing about. Like, how'd it go, honey? Bad. Didn't didn't work out. Didn't work out. Or or she comes back and sees him as like, holy shit, he didn't kill you. <laughs> so he, he says to her, he's like, I have to run away from town after all the talk about <laughs> after all the talk about like how he's going to take the girl away. He's like, I have to leave. Your dad's scary. Yeah, he's and, like, I'm going to just have to leave town because there's nothing for me here if I can't marry you. And it's like, sir, you're not going to take me away then. You're just going to yeah. leave. Well, she basically says, what about me, though? And he basically responds with, what about you? I can't take you. Your dad will murder me. (laughs) (laughs) So So then he goes to talk to the town council, right? Well, he's he's intending to leave, and the town's folks see him walking, and they're like, hey, there's a sucker. Right. And they're like, hey, you want to leave town? Don't leave town. You, You just need a job. That's the whole point. And and it is what he needs. He needs a job. He needs, he needs some sort of mobility. They need somebody to work at the because they don't want to do it. Oh, hell no. And because, and, and of course, pointedly, they don't tell him about the monster. No. And Although they even have a debate about whether the monster exists because they don't know yet. But they're like, no, there is no vampire, which means there certainly is. Yeah, it's weird. Like, They've never seen any direct evidence of this thing, but they have had a series of Millers killed. So, yeah. and and they do have, as we will soon see, an elaborate way of dealing with exactly this sort of issue, and they know how to go through it. So, I figure they do know at this point that this has to be what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they recruit him to take over the mill so that they can have their flour but they they but they phrase it like no you got to get a job so that you can get your girl and impress zivan who's just an asshole so don't don't even worry about him yeah they are all pretty down on him they're all like that guy's just a jerk we know he's a jerk it doesn't matter if you have money you can marry her so you just need to get money and and, yeah nobody in this town they're constantly referring to him as a grouch yes which he does nothing to uh, nothing to make anyone think otherwise. No, I mean he is a grouch. They are correct. Yeah. He's a grouch. 
So James begins working at the mill. He works for exactly five seconds and then immediately finds a napping spot, notably a different napping spot from the other guy. Cozy mill. Yeah, so much flour to nap on. But apparently being a miller is really easy in this time. I don't know. I, I, don't I mean, know like what's involved, or maybe... a lot of it is done probably by the water wheel. I, yeah. I don't really know how much of it, but like, you know, I, I I guess part of the job is just being there and sorting the stuff while while the wheel does a lot of the actual grinding work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't I, know. I don't know how. It works. I don't know. These guys <laughs> make it seem like it's like a dream job. Well, I mean, they are sleeping Except through a lot the monster. of it. Yeah. But that's the Except thing. They the killing. They keep getting eaten by the vampire who lives there. Yeah, so we have the exact same thing happen at nightfall. Uh, like, I, I think they might have even used recycled footage of the creeper peeping through the, the wall boards. It's very possible. Uh, running its hands through the flower. And then here I thought it killed James, because it definitely attacks him. And and we it is supposed to be left in question until... Uh, yes. He is revealed the next day when uh, our, our town council go to see what happened to him. Yeah, basically, they, they're going to check up and be like, hey, are you dead yet? We need flour. Yeah, like, let's let's just see how our new Miller is faring. And they go in and it's like, yep, yep, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, they're like, what a shame. Well, better get the flour. And then Sweep he just comes bursting out of the flour. <gasps> yeah, he looks hilarious. And... Uh, they think they think he's a ghost and they run away. And it's this whole thing, <laughs> which is very silly and ludicrous. And I, like, I'm I'm kind of unclear on exactly why he was under the flower. Do we feel he was hiding under the flower from the vampire? Uh, I think that I think when the vampire attacked, he fell off the thing and the bags of flour fell onto him. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that could sleep. be it. He was napping in the loft. But the and then the vampire just was not interested in pursuing it further. And it's like, okay, we'll, we'll wait until this guy cleans find, the flower off. When we find <laughs> out who the vampire is, it's like it, it it makes sense that it didn't want to kill him necessarily right away. Uh, right. I think the vampire didn't know who the Miller was okay. until they got in there. Right. But I could be mistaken because I don't also know how cognizant the vampire is yeah i don't get how much of a beast the vampire is because there there is well later on there's a certain amount of control uh really feral when it's doing the attacks so it's really questionable but maybe it's just really hungry that's that could be fierce vampiric hunger yeah yeah maybe because it hasn't been that long since the vampires eaten a miller it's been one day Maybe right. it's like, okay, I can control it a little bit. I, I would have to imagine, because they say they've lost maybe like four millers over several months. So it can't yeah. need to feed that rapidly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so they're running out of the, uh, running away from little ghosty James guy. <laughs> All covered in flour. And, oh, I've got written down the vampire's name here. Uh, Sava Savanovic. So I was going to. So I was going to say that I'm Shanna Savanovic, which is a fun uh, okay. name. Yep. But Sava Savanovic is a cool name. Mm-hmm. Sava Savanovic, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're like asking him about, once they re- 
get realize he's not a ghost. They're asking him about what happened. He says absolutely nothing and just washes his face. He's like, Ugh. yeah, like they're just crowding around him, asking all of these very pertinent questions uh, yeah. about this vampire that they've been trying to deal with. Although, to be fair, they did send him with no information to die by vampire as well. Uh, and he's just like stone faced, not responding to any of it just covered in flour it's very Look, strange guys i've had a day all yeah. right well he's had so, a night <laughs> yeah a night yeah can't be good so, for you to sleep under flour you can't breathe yeah. that stuff in that's not good no Ooh, yeah i never even thought about that but yeah holy shit that would be He's 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 had a rough he's had a rough night. It's so rough they're night. discussing what to do and they're always arguing. It's always like this big thing whenever they take whenever they're about to take any action. Uh, but they decide to talk to the wise old lady who probably knows stuff. Yes. And every rural town needs one. Yes. Now this lady is maybe this this the sequence is actually really kind of funny. Uh, because they're like, the lady's deaf, so they're like yelling in her ear, but she's like, why are you yelling? And like she, like they ask her about the vampire, and it's like, yeah, Sava Savanovic is the vampire, but I don't remember anything else. So they're like, oh, well, we're done. And they go walking down the path, and she's like, wait, I remember. Yeah, they, they have several wait, I remembers. That's right. Yeah, yeah so like... I, I love these, like, repetition jokes, because they do it a few times where they get, like, a little bit more information, but then suddenly the lady's like, I don't remember anything else. And then they do this whole thing where they're, like, going down They all the fence. give up. Yeah. yeah. Going down the path, across the fence, and I'm sure it's, and here I'm sure it's recycled footage, because they're putting their hands on the fence posts the exact same way and going down in the exact same order. And then it's like, wait, I remember. So they eventually get the information of where this vampire's grave is. Mm -hmm. And the it's girl, like just over the sheep pasture where well, uh, we've seen that girl a few, the, the main girl a few times, right? Like, well, I feel actually, like they no, cross they over that same road. They don't find out yet. They find out it's in a crooked ravine by a crooked oh, right. elm tree. Uh, but <laughs> they, they're looking around because that is not specific enough. Yeah, they they have a, a riddle to solve first. That's right. Yeah, and the girl is watching them search from the hill. Right. One thing I've noticed is that no matter what the uh, no matter what the conditions, like the weather conditions are, every scene with the girl seems to be like filmed in brighter warmer light and warmer colors like the colors seem more vibrant whenever she's on the screen is mm -hmm. what i've pointed out at, or what i've noticed at this point uh could it doesn't be, stay be. that way but up to this point because i guess we're supposed to think she's this pure beautiful angel because that's kind of what we're supposed to believe right now she's the she is like the the love object yeah she she's the MacGuffin love girl so they they talk to the priest who's part of their little gang council thing. If, but he's he, he's a priest, they are he's always also very dunking. Much... They they hate this priest. They are dunking on well, him constantly. They are, he is but the butt is, of every joke. I mean, but he, he sucks. Is one of he's them. Terrible. He's he is their friend. Like <laughs> oh yeah. It's like it's lighthearted. This is he's, just how these people live. This is what he, they do. He's absolutely part of the council. It's just like he is kind of like the lowest rung member. Like anytime they're like they're always dunking on just 
priests in general and priests being dirty and he's oh this dirty old priest (laughs) (laughs) he's always like like oh i'll kick your ass yeah they always end up fighting he's always gonna start a fight about it but never never comes to anything oh yeah because they're friends and this is just this just just, so he tells them that if it's a vampire they need a black stallion, a steak, right. and holy water. Now, the only one who has a black stallion is uh, Zivan Grouch. Yeah. Zivan, yeah. And uh, one of the guys asks him if they can borrow his horse, and it's like, what are you going to use it for? Uh, to inseminate my mare. Yeah, sure, go for it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's fine with that, although, like, the, the guy then overplays his hand too much. Because oh. he, he starts, like, uh, peppering him about the boyfriend and the, the daughter. And he's like, ah, why don't you just let him marry Zivan? Yeah, that's right. That's right. One thing I thought was interesting, um, Zivan's, they meet Zivan under a crooked elm tree with all of, like, he's hanging his tools off of this tree, but they're rusted. I was like, at this point, I'm thinking Zivan might be the monster. Right. But this this is turns out this isn't the crooked elm tree. There's a lot of crooked elm trees. Yeah. Elm trees grow crooked. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like he has this conversation with Zivan where like he kind of gets on his bad side by sort of championing him uh, or championing uh, our guy, James, to James. Yeah. To to, uh, it's like, oh, just let him get married. What what could it hurt you? He's a good (laughs) boy. He's like, you can take my horse, but Drop this subject, but take my horse. Yeah, it's like you—you you can take the horse, but shut up. I, oh, yeah. I, I don't yeah, need to listen holding... to you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Zivan is like holding a sharp stake in his hand. Like that's not scary. Mm-hmm. As this guy's like saying, "Yeah, marry, let her marry this idiot." Like, yeah. No, Zivan is always much. very threatening. Yes. Always. Yes. Like I don't know if we're meant to think he's the monster, but I thought he was the monster for a bit. Yeah, I think he's just generally supposed to be threatening as the father of the potential bride. Which is, you know, the father of the bride is, of course, scarier than the monster. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in sort of like a, a, a lightly weird comedic rural folk horror. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, we see the girl like looking at her reflection in a well and we hear I've got it written down. of. OK, here's where I wrote down what the sound is like. It's a right. cuckoo howl. Mm hmm. Or maybe like a monkey. Like, a, I'm not going to yeah. do it because it's late and right. can't I do did, it quiet. I did get kind of a monkey vibe from it. But this is sort of an area where I wouldn't expect there, there to be, be monkeys. monkeys. Yeah. No, I, I, don't, I, don't I don't think, think Yugoslavia monkeys. has monkeys in the forest. No. I could be no. wrong, but not no. that I'm aware of. <laughs> but yeah, uh, a cross between a howling cuckoo bird and a monkey, I would say, is what this thing sounds like. So it's they really did a good job of making an otherworldly sound effect for for the budget that they had. They they, they yeah, hit it with this. It's it's a neat mix of sounds. It's fairly simple and lo-fi. It it sounds mm-hmm. odd and like uncanny it's, it's, enough that it works. Yeah, it's it's just off enough. It doesn't have to be anything like. Like the T-Rex from Jurassic Park or nothing. Right. So the girl is like lying in the grass 
and it sounds like she's ignoring like this is a very long shot of her lying in the grass sound looking like she's ignoring the cuckoo mm-hmm. and she's like taking a nap or maybe having a nightmare it's not really it's really just a long shot of her lying in the grass tossing turning and reacting to noises mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't quite sure what that meant so uh, cut to our our idiot squad they're the crew on their way to the grave yeah they are leading they're the horse is supposed to lead them to the grave somehow i guess it's a folklore thing yes uh, but they're having trouble with this horse because they have to have trouble with the horse they're those kinds of people yeah, like, they don't really know the exact procedure for it. They do just know, like, okay, so we're supposed to get the black mare, and the black mare will lead us. But they don't know how to get the black mare to lead them, so they're being, they're they're kind of, like, trying to force it to lead them somewhere. Where it's it, like, it's, no, just lead, just follow the horse. It, it's kind of a comedy of errors a little bit, yeah, but, you know. Uh, yeah, they, they do actually find it, um, and they have James hit this part of ground with the pickaxe and you can hear like the funk of wood underneath Mm -hmm. Um, so they dig it up and i've got written down here the townsfolk is always just using james as their pawn to do all the dirty work yeah he's got the benefits they do dig up the coffin and they're getting set to do this ritual to banish the vampire which is kind of like a more metal version of the typical uh, vampire thing of driving the stake through the heart. They drive the stake through the coffin lid into what could be the heart, but you can't really aim, but it doesn't matter because they're going to leave the stake there. Also, the stake is like seven feet long. Well, and most key is they have to capture the butterfly that escapes from the hole in the coffin that they make when they stake it. Yes. Like, that's absolutely key. This is the the important part, and they Mm -hmm. fail to do that. Of course they fail to do it. Yep. Uh, Like, at one point, James even tries to hit the butterfly with a sledgehammer. It's like, that was never going to work. He he tries, though. He he really makes makes the attempt. (laughs) I've just written, try to hit with hammer, don't catch butterfly, fail at everything. He's he's very proactive. He he's doing what he can. Yeah, but they, but the like the metal part is the fact that they leave this freaking eight foot long spike in the coffin, where even if it didn't hit the vampire's heart, that vampire ain't going nowhere. It's pinned in there, and they're throwing yeah. rocks. They're acting as though they succeeded. It's like, oh, we didn't get the butterfly, but whatever. We got the vampire. This like, yeah, got to be this good is, enough. This is good enough. This is fine. Good enough. The priest even said the words. And of course, the girl is watching this scene from above. Mm-hmm. But they figure they were successful. So they actually have this uh, feast. Uh, and I, this is kind of nice. Like, I, I do. These guys aren't bad guys. They're just a little dumb, but they are they mean well, except for yeah, how they use James. But they're basic fools. You know, yeah, they're 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 they, basic uh, rural fools of the sort you get in a folk tale. Yeah, but they they here they decide to reward the grandmother who gave them the information with a feast. Mm-hmm. Like they they bring her. It's like, hey, are we cooked this freaking pig for you? Uh, and they're having like this party for her and for celebrating the death of the vampire while James is off to the side moping. Yeah, because I mean, he still didn't get what he wants. 
No, he's he's still didn't marry the girl. Of course. <laughs> and the go <laughs> the guys all go to go cheer him up, and, and they have like this conversation about about like uh, Zivan and I wrote down. He said my house is like a mushroom. <laughs> Yeah, he's a Smurf. We did. It's like we didn't. We didn't see him say that. So they must have. He must have had multiple conversations with Zivan. Yeah, I would have to imagine so. So, are you gonna let me marry your daughter today? Your house is like a mushroom. Goddamn Smurf. Yeah. So. Filled with newfound vigor and wanting to thank James for his role in defeating the monster, they decide they're and and again, leading to these guys maybe being well-meaning but absolute idiots. They decide the smart thing to do is get a posse together to kidnap the daughter so that Z well, or that uh, so sorry. they can elope. It's it's so an elopement. Elope. Yes. It, this again is like another very specific folk ritual it's like in 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 north america a basic elopement would just be you know the the groom and the bride just taking off together whereas this has all of these elaborate rituals built into it yeah like they, they how ask, you perform it they ask the priest if it's okay if they do this and the priest is like yeah it's fine it's fine go for it it's fine because <laughs> yeah, of, of course the priest is one of them yeah he, he's part of the gang and the granny is giving him side eye. I, I noted, which is weird because she shouldn't have been able to hear it. But of course, the granny always knows. Yeah, and she just doesn't trust the priest. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so here's what I've got written: the gang attempts a kidnapping. As yes. We have the idiot squad stealth mission. Uh, and they're all so drunk because they just came from the drunk. party. They just, yeah. Uh, the it's like. Like, James goes up to the daughter, is like, we're going to take you and elope, and the daughter's like, what the fuck? And Zivan's, like, running at them with his scythe, and he's got murder in his eyes. But they managed to get away. They managed to get away, yeah. And they're celebrating, they're like, now we have a miller, now we get another day of flower until Zivan kills you. <laughs> right, yeah. They're, yeah. they're like, they, well, they he's do... probably gonna kill you, but hey, come on, you're gonna get married. Yeah, oh yeah, they do get the girl away, of course. Yeah. And the daughter and James have this conversation where the daughter's basically like, I can't believe you said you were going to leave me and then just went to work in the mill down the street. You could have told me you were still in town. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. It's like, I did it for you so I could like make money. And it's like, yeah, but you could have told me. I was like grieving the loss of the relationship here. Like, you said you were just going to... You said you were going to stand up to my dad, and then you and then you said you were going to bail, and then you didn't. This guy sucks. This guy's he, James from Twin Peaks. Well, he he's out there uh, living Rabbit Run, the the the, the Updike novel. That, that's kind of his deal. He's going <laughs> to move down the road a piece, live a new and, life. Yeah. So James actually says, I wrote this down because. It's meaningless. It's, I've never heard this expression before. I, I'm sorry, it's not meaningless, but I, meaningless to me because I haven't heard it before. I swear on my eyes I'll never leave you. And I'm just thinking. That's an interesting one. 
you just set yourself up to lose your eyes on a monster. <laughs> but yeah, I, I swear on my eyes that that's, that's an interesting one. Like, I think that's just a local Probably. colloquial thing, but that's, that's cool. I've not heard that previously. Oh, so here, uh, so we see Zivan like glaring at them and then he catches the butterfly and he's like, I'll show you scumbags. Oh, then we've got like the day before they're going to get married. Right. Uh, they are, they're supposed, <laughs> so it's this whole ritual thing, I guess, where they're supposed to have a lady or like part of the ritual where they're supposed to have a lady guard the bride so that the husband doesn't sneak off to have sex with her before the mayor, before the wedding. But yeah. it's expected for the husband to try to. Which is why they have to have a guard. And it's sort of, yeah, like this again is like this very elaborate folk ritual. Like there's all of these little special details that need to be preserved in every step of the way. And yeah, so they have the, the old lady again, isn't it? They have Uh, her. It's a different, it's a different old lady. A different old lady. They have her sleep or like sit on the doorstep all night. She falls asleep pretty fast. Of course. Because that's kind of her job. It is her job to fall asleep and potentially let him in. Yeah, so... um, Oh, yeah, and I wrote, oh, my God, they're going to secretly have premarital sex. Now they're for sure going to die. So, yeah, she falls asleep, and James just steps over her. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that is, like... Her purpose to fall yes. asleep and be stepped over. Just be a literal bump in the road. Yeah. So he sees. So James meets with the girl, and like they go to have sex, and he rips open her dress, and here we see a big snake or steak wound, like a big round, like freaking open hole in her chest. Yeah, she's the vampire. She's the vampire. So here's where I realized that every time I was hearing the monkey noise. It was her, whether in her head or she was making the sounds herself, because a lot of the time it seemed like she was the only one who could hear it. And maybe that's like the beast within her trying to get out. I don't know. It's hard to say. really not sure, yeah. Um, But she transforms here and kind of attacks James, but she's not trying to kill him, I found out. Right. It just seems like a real weird fight, but... It's not a fight at all. She's riding him piggyback. It is so site. funny. <laughs> it's just really funny. She's riding him like he's a horse. This is and, actually and not in a sexual way. Yeah, no, this is a folk tradition I have seen represented before. I think it's maybe in uh, Haxan, the the history of witchcraft movie from the 30s, uh, which is just really fantastic. I think they show this exact thing where, like, you know, uh, the the woman gets on the the man's back and rides him around. And I think I've maybe seen a couple other movies that are based around this premise. Yeah. Um, I thought it was hilarious actually. Oh, it's, it's very comical. It's just a really <laughs> funny moment. She, she jumps up on his back and rides him off to the coffin. Like she's, she's taking like control holding of him. onto him by like having her fingers in his mouth. That's how she's yeah. rat- holding on. <laughs> So she she t- begs him to take the stake out of the coffin. Yeah. Which while he does, she's like thrashing because obviously the body in the coffin and her are connected. And then everything 
I don't understand. I've got written down like the actions that happen next, but I don't know what any of it means. So when he removes the stake, she, Obi-Wan Kenobi disappears, leaving the dress behind. Yeah. And then, okay, so up till now, we've always seen the girl in a white dress. So she rises from the grave with a black dress now. Like, this is the actual corpse. Mm -hmm. I guess she was the girl we had been seeing was like a spirit. I guess so. Or like a a physical manifestation, but like the vampire that we see in the mill, whether or not it's the same physical manifestation or not. Yeah, so she's trying to get to the dr- the white dress, and James is staking her, and I'm like, you just unstaked her. Why is any of this? Um, I well, I guess now, like he he unstaked her because she had him under her control, and now I guess he's trying to finish the job. Oh. Now that so yeah. Cut- like, yeah. yeah, she's she's uh, she's back in that form and like in theory that form is more defeatable than you know the the other form. Maybe. But yeah, she she's he stakes this form of the vampire and we cut to the granny still asleep and uh the vi- the village villagers come in they're like, "Hey guys, I hope you didn't have sex in there." Yeah, they're I'll all like jolly, like oh, 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 good morning, newlyweds. Oh, oh. looks like she fell asleep. <laughs> Who could have imagined? Yeah, <laughs> like, 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 clearly, this is how everything was is meant yeah, to go down. Exactly. This mm-hmm. But he's not there. And of course we cut not. To James lying in a field, and we close in on on his head with the butterfly resting on his temple. Yep. And that's the end of the movie. That's I've it. got written down is he dead? He's alive? Is she alive? Dead? What is going on? L M A O. Well, I I feel like the butterfly is the the butterfly kind of represents the soul and I I feel like maybe him staking her the butterfly then takes him maybe like he may be the new form i don't know for sure if the girl was the vampire previous to them staking the vampire because remember like the butterfly may have flown out and then possessed the girl is what you're thinking well remember the the dad had the vampire or had the the butterfly right oh yeah and he was going to show them right yeah we never find out what he does with the butterfly well, presumably, if if the butterfly then possesses the the person, I guess he puts it on the daughter for them to take the daughter as the vampire to. I don't know. It's weird. I don't get it at all. But again, interesting as this folk horror thing of very specific, very rural. Yeah. And uh, like I, all of this is stuff that is new to me in terms of the 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 folk legends, but yeah, yeah, it has, the mythology of it is. I this is all yeah it's all new stuff to me yeah it's it's and it's got that feeling of authenticity like it does feel like it's 
real lived in folk history, especially how they have the way they take care of the vampire paralleled with the way you have an elopement. Just these very intricate, well lived in folk traditions. That's interesting. No idea very, very what time cool. period it takes place in. Yeah, it could I, be I, any I, time. I like that. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this was really neat. It's pretty cool. Uh, like, it's very low-key. It is obviously pretty low-budget, but mm-hmm. I think it's effectively eerie when it is trying to be eerie, uh, even though a lot of it is kind of lightly comedic. Yeah, no, it's it's just, it's a cool story. It's a cool, it's a cool legend or tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, any final thoughts on that one before we head in into our last part? I, I do recommend, by the way, checking out some of the folk horror documentary in the set. Uh, oh, if you yeah, have some time over the next the few days. First, the first disc had one, or is one, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a very lengthy documentary that's very comprehensive on the whole f- history of folk horror, and it's fantastic, uh, really fascinating. And pretty digestible because, like, I think it's three and a half hours long, but you can watch it in it. Like, it's separated into sections. Oh, good. I I need a like I need a solid place for a thing. To yeah. Break. Not like there's a lot of those. Yeah. So like, like I think it's in like six game parts. Where or it's something. like there's it has chapters. Yeah. Just Endgame just needed chapters. Just needed like bring back the intermission. If you're yeah, gonna have three hour movies, bring back the intermission. Yeah, that is a good point. Although it's it's tough because it it ruins immersion. I feel like a lot of audiences would not care for an intermission uh, yeah. in the modern setting. Like we 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 have like I I mean prior to the pandemic, the culture used to be that like you know there'd be a new comic book movie and they'd show a huge marathon of like twenty four hours of them and people would just attend that whole thing. Like yeah, that's the binge true. watch is big. Yeah. In the modern yeah. day, good. It's weird. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't even. I mean, this I, the film we were talking about just now was like an hour long, less than an, an hour, hour. Like uh, hour ten is what it okay. was. Hour ten, so really not long. Yeah, it's it's a very quick one. Uh, but yeah, I I mean the, those yeah, really like, long movies. I don't know. I don't know but, how I'd feel about an intermission. It would have to be a certain style of movie. I feel. Like well, I could have done have an intermission build movie around it. Yes, I I you could have done have an intermission have a stopping point somewhere with Return of the King. You know, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. That's one that could have used an intermission. I could have gotten out yep. and peed uh, because when I saw that movie, I had to go. And then like I that's came to what felt like experience. the experience. It's, it's like, like okay, oh, now we're now we're ended. at the end. All right, well then. And then there's like 17 know. more endings, and it's like, oh, oh my god, I have to go so bad. Why is it That's so That's my whole ending? memory of Return of the King is having to pee during the ending. And it's like, when will it stop? And it became torture. Yeah, it really did. And it's like, I don't care that they're all in bed together right now. Why are we doing this? I really have to At go. Please give me the sacking of the Shire if you're going to do this. Yeah, I, I don't know why I didn't just leave, but, you know, I, I don't do that. <laughs> I didn't just leave because I was like, the next one's going to be the sacking of the Shire. Well, the for- gonna, and then it turns out it gets far enough that you can't. For me, there there was a, a couple of reasons why I couldn't. It was the premiere. It was the, the opening night. I was surrounded by people in costume and everything. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. 
you better maybe stay put. And not only that, I had gotten on everyone's bad side because, you know, there's that part where uh, Hugo Weaving shows up uh, as I can't remember the name of his elf character. He's he's Elrond. the you know, boss elf. Uh, <laughs> Elrond Hubbard. Elrond. No. Uh, El- Elrond shows up with the broken sword, right? Yeah. And he does this dramatic reveal of the sword where he pulls it out of the sheath and gives it to uh, Aragorn. And it's, I don't know, something about the scene just really tickled me. And I started giggling and then I started laughing, full-throated laughing. And my buddy who was with me was also very giggly about it. And so it's just the two of us in the middle of a sea of Lord of the Rings nerds. cackling at this moment that's kind of supposed to be dramatic that's, uh, oh yeah it's it's a huge it's supposed to be a huge moment it it's always made me giggle but yeah so i laughed pretty hard at it uh and i just you know by the time i got to the ending it's like i i gotta just sit here and <laughs> wait it out yeah i just if i had known how long it was gonna be Oh, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know there were going to be so feel, many endings. Every one of them feels like this will be the last one and the credits are going to roll. It's like, And then every credits, one no. of them fades to black. It was like they were they were trolling me. <laughs> uh, but that's that's Peter Jackson. Uh, I also walked out of King Kong yelling because I hated that movie. too. But <laughs> anyway, uh, uh well, I don't think I have more to say part? about yeah, Lifterica. <laughs> All righty. All right, part three. And for our final section, as always, we talk about movies watched in the last week and discuss or decide what we're going to watch next week. Uh, so I uh, watched a bunch of stuff this week. have a full uh, nine on the list, plus another one that I'll talk about but uh, i, I kind of just have left off the list for reasons we'll discuss when we get there interesting now you've got me curious <laughs> well uh, well i'll wait to see what you say before i say hey i want to watch that one you probably don't but it, it's it's okay. it's interesting to talk about either way all right well i, I want to talk about it all right. <laughs> by all means yeah certainly uh, so first up we have the last hunter uh, i mentioned this one last time this is uh, an Italian exploitation version of a Vietnam film. Okay, yeah. We, so I see in the box art we've got two helicopters spraying napalm and a silhouette of a man dual-wielding rifles. Yeah. So, like, it's it's a really grungy, really super violent and gory version of uh, the, the typical... Uh, Hollywood Vietnam movie like at this point it's pretty early in the cycle this is 1980 so only a few major ones have come out uh, this is post Deer Hunter and like just after Apocalypse Now and it's sort of capitalizing on those I think Apocalypse Now is the only one of those I've really seen and I saw the extended cut in theaters and Ooh. I was young the extended cut is rough uh, I, I love that movie. Like, I, I think that movie is wonderful, but I don't think the extended cut is a good way to see it, especially the first time. That whole plantation yeah. sequence, it's just unnecessary. Uh, I, I, as a result, like I was. I was just asleep by the uh, I guess by the whole Marlon Brando part, so I, right. I barely recognize it. And apparently that's like the important part. 
Yes, and and that's definitely the stuff that's being ripped off here. It's also the stuff that was being ripped off in Nam Angels, uh, which I watched a couple weeks back. Uh, but yeah, this one's a lot of fun. It's obviously exploitation. It's super trashy. It's ridiculously gory. It's kind of comic book gory. Like there's a part early on where this, you know, they're flying in and someone gets around in the head uh, and like we we don't see them get it. We we just see the guy go to see like, oh, hey, are, did you get hit? And he lifts up his helmet and, you know, there's just like comic book gore and his face oh. is just all a pink mess. Uh, oh, and and it's that kind of stuff. It's it's very like it doesn't look super realistic, but it does look really nasty and it's kind of oh. absurd all the time. Uh, you you have the rats. You have people devoured by rats. You you have uh, all of like just the nastiest POW stuff. Uh, they they do all of oh, that. Yeah. It's 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 all pretty wild. Uh, there there's an extended sequence where they're at. Uh, a weird camp where it, it's sort of like a version of a scene that's in apocalypse now. Uh, but there's this guy who's really stoned and we're sort of experiencing it through him, just too stoned to move uh, on a table in like their sort of canteen and okay. a whole bunch of VC troops tunnel in uh, to their camp and just start massacring everyone. And it's just like him stoned in the middle of it where the, and there's just a massacre going on around him. And it, there's just like constant disco pop playing, which is funny because <laughs> that did not exist yet, but yeah, it's a weird movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did see another, almost see another. So I've only ever almost seen Vietnam movies because I was asleep for most of apocalypse now. And I only saw the first half of full metal jacket. Okay, so they that's weren't even in the Vietnam half. yet. Well, th- that's what I hear. It was. I it think was both are good. good. Uh, it but was like, good. I just never saw the second. Yeah, I mean, popular opinion, I guess, is that the first part is the best part, and it's hard to argue because it's just such an amazing sequence. It's so memorable. There's a lot of great oh. stuff in the second part too, though. Okay, well, I, I got we'll to totally watch both of those at some oh, point. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, next up is Original Gangsters. This is a Larry Cohen movie. Uh, I'm a big fan of Larry Cohen. This is one of his later films. Uh, he kind of got his start as a black exploitation director, like back in the beginning of black exploitation. He was one of the guys doing it. So he did like uh, any relation to the Cohen brothers? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think you may have seen. Ooh, you've seen Larry Cohen's uh, The Stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah so his that... killer yogurt movie. Yeah, that movie was something. It rules. Uh, he's also did uh, he he did Cue the Winged Serpent, where there's uh, Quetzalcoatl, you know, the Mexican death god, uh, is living in the Chrysler building and sometimes you know just flying out and eating people's heads. Uh, he did God Told Me To, which is about like a series of uh, mass killings, and then whenever they they get to the mass killer, they say God told me to, and then it turns out there's a guy who's just like jesus and he's going around telling people to kill everyone okay. uh he, he's done he, like i i love larry cohen his stuff is really interesting it's very pulpy he's a weird dude so he got his start in black exploitation, and then in 96 he does this movie where he gets together the entire like classic black exploitation leading 
like crew. You got Fred Williamson, Jim Brown, Pam Greer, Ron O'Neill, Richard Roundtree. Uh, and they they are people who are like they were a former gang back in the 70s. Uh, and they're they don't like what has happened to the neighborhood with the new gangs and the way they do things. Uh, so they're, you know, fighting back. Uh, kind of Rambo or not Death Wish three style. Ooh, not quite to that extent, of course. Is Death Wish three the one with the rocket launcher guy? Yes, it's unfortunately uh, never quite to that level, but yeah, okay. it's it it is that sort of story where it's like you know a, a bunch of older people taking back the neighborhood from the young punks. But it's interesting in this respect because it's kind of a genre thing because it's like. 70s black action movies that that sort of more carefree loose anti-establishment thing versus the modern hood film of the 90s with like you know boys to boys in the hood menace to society and that kind of thing yeah so it's sort of a clash of genres as well as uh, of generations it's pretty cool interesting cool, cool. uh it has wings hauser very briefly he he has an appearance i think he's the mayor he has a cameo <laughs> Is he the maniac? <laughs> he doesn't get a lot of maniac time in this one, unfortunately. No. But you know, it's it's still fun to see him pop up. And I think this is later than any of the other stuff we've watched him in, because this is '96, and I think oh, most of the yeah. stuff we've watched has been '80s. '80s, yeah. Did have we talked about Wings Living Right on the show yet? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, that's amazing, right? I, I found the the photo of his album in like before he was an actor in the 70s. He had a soft rock album under the name Wings Livin' Right uh, with a Y. Livin' yeah, R-Y-T-E. R-Y-T-E. <laughs> this is him leaning back against a car. It's beautiful. Yeah, in like <laughs> the denim cowboy outfit. It's perfect. And like. <laughs> we've seen him with like cowboy hats similar to that in some of the films we've watched and like this does make sense he he is playing guitar in something we've watched recently i think he does a song maybe that was in nightmare at noon oh yeah we i did because i watched that that you haven't seen that one yet yeah that's right maybe but we might in one of our hangouts well we'll probably watch it soon i'm sure we will we could we could sell our friend just by saying it has wings hauser yeah, you can sell a lot of people on that now. He's he's so much fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that'll sell it to me. Oh, totally. Uh, next up, The Fabulous Baron Munchausen, or uh, uh, original title Baron Prasil. Uh, this is a Czech film from the 60s. It's uh, animated, like a, a mix of animation and uh, live action. Okay. So... so uh, it's this guy, he's walking on the moon, you know, it's, it's the moon landing, although this is, I think it's 1960, it's 62, so it's a little bit before the actual moon landing. Oh, okay, so. So they're, like, looking forward to it, it's like, okay, this is the what the moon landing is going to be like. the far-flung future of 1962, we land on the moon. Well, no, the, like, this This is made in 62, and oh, okay. they're they're looking forward to, like, 65, I think, is when someone actually finally does walk on the moon. Uh, but... So the, it's it's a guy walking on the moon, and he's the, it's it's like very realistic. Uh, they they show like the entirety of history and uh, leading to rockets and someone landing on the moon uh, in sort of like a, a a montage. And then 
uh, th- this guy's on the moon and he sees there's someone already there. He, see, he finds some footsteps. He's like, what the heck? <laughs> and he follows them over and there's the rocket from, you know, the 1902 film, I think, A Trip to the Moon. I think you saw Hugo, oh. right? sure it rings the name rings a bell because it, it features a trip to the moon but you know a trip to the moon like famous silent film oh, yeah like the, yeah. The, the rocket hits the moon in the eye and the moon's all like Arr. yeah so that rocket's there and yeah. the people like the scientists from that rocket are there and baron munchausen and cyrano de bergerac and they're like okay. hey let's this is this is pretty cool you you found your way up to the moon let's go on an adventure and they <laughs> take the the trip to the moon vessel back to storybook historical turkey and they just go on adventures in like paper craft animation it's amazing it's absolutely okay, that's, beautiful that sounds that sounds really cool yeah it I, I rules. really like that um i don't actually see it here on the list so you'll have to is remind me at the, no but you'll have to remind uh, me at the end that it exists because i Oh, I'll just add that because that's that's weird. I I my I forgot to add it when I was adding them earlier. I'll just add it's, it right now. <laughs> just just yeah, just the way that my memory works. It's like if I don't see it, I'll I'll forget that we just talked about it, even though it was two minutes ago. Yeah, absolutely. I just missed that one when I was cool. adding them just before uh, no, no, we talked. No problem. So, uh, next up, uh, is the sister of Ursula. Uh, which the is sister the sister of Ursula is Phoebe from Friends. She has a twin sister named Ursula. I that... did not know that. <laughs> I hope I'm. What am I saying? I don't care if I'm right or not. I, I, <laughs> I think I am, but I don't care about Friends accuracy. I I remember, like I did watch that show a bit back when, but not in a really long so time. I. I think she, I like. I remember her having a brother. Yeah, there was. I don't hey, know. let's not talk about friends. <laughs> anyway, the sister of <laughs> Ursula is the second in the Forgotten Gialli set, uh, volume four from VS. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's these two sisters who are staying in this creepy seaside hotel. Uh, they're looking for their estranged mother, who uh, they believe was a prostitute, I think. And they're looking for this hotel for whatever reason. And there's a series of just like brutal sex murders. Uh, and I don't know who could be doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's a giallo happens. They they're at a seaside hotel, and a giallo takes place. Is that, is that sort of basic setup? It's like uh, uh, Arabella Black Angel that I talked about last week. There's a lot of sex in this one. <laughs> okay, all right. It's an '80s one. It's very trashy, uh, but it's it's pretty fun. Uh, next one, also from that set, finishing the set off. Uh, the killer is still among us. Uh, which is based on a true crime story, uh, The Monster of Florence, Ooh. which had just con- like was it was a series of uh, serial murders that is still unsolved uh, and had just concluded like the year before this movie came out. Uh, so they, they have some theories on it. I, I don't know if they're true or not, because, you know, it, it is as of yet unsolved. But yeah, it's it's very grisly. It's quite exploitation-y, considering that like the actual murders had just happened. Uh-huh. Uh, and what's really funny to me is that it's from the same director who did. Well, uh, let me see. One totally insane guess for what bizarre thing this director is known for directing many many years later. And it's the only like he's directed two other things, and this one is like 
internet infamous? Um, what 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 would that be? Uh, so it is an animated picture. His other if famous we're movie. We're not talking about rejected, are we? No, of course not. He's he's okay, not okay. he's not a director of a good thing. No, oh. he, <laughs> he directed the Titanic and the Legend Continues animated picture. Oh boy, oh, the boy. The, the oh, weird, boy. yeah, trashy uh, knockoff of uh, you know with, with like talking animals on the Titanic and stuff. Is that the one with the rapping dog? Yes. <laughs> So I would that's, never in a million years have guessed that. I yeah, forgot I, like, that existed. Completely insane. Uh, yeah, and he, yeah, that's like the other thing he's directed. He's done one <laughs> other movie in between. Crazy. Uh, uh, next up is An Angel for Satan. This is a gothic horror starring Barbara Steele, who's just classic gothic horror actress. She's in like all the gothic horrors. I feel like. Okay. Uh, and it's this movie there, it's this castle on this cursed lake, this evil, evil lake, and they pull this cursed statue out of it and, you know, curses and evil lakes and haunted castles and shit. Of course. Uh, uh, the, the statue possesses Barbara Steele uh, and, yeah, does she, there's killing and stuff, you know. <laughs> This is that sort of thing. I, 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 it's, it's all, all about the atmosphere, you know, the, the, the locations and just the, the feel of the gothic horror. Cool, cool. Uh, next up is Curfew, sort of a home invasion slasher movie, uh, starring Kyle Richards, uh, the sister of Kim Richards, who we talked about. Uh, she she was uh, the the one in Assault on Precinct 13. Oh uh, yes, yes. Protagonist girl. Yeah, and I believe yeah. Kyle Richards is Lindsay from Halloween. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's like this is '89, uh, so it's kind of near the end of the big slasher cycle of the '80s, and it's these two brothers. They get out of jail and they go after like everybody from the court. They they go after the judge and the the uh, their lawyer, I guess, and. Uh, the prosecutor and then uh, Kyle Richards is the daughter of the DA and just for whatever reason she gets home you know for curfew and these guys are there holding the the DA and like uh, her dad the DA and uh, the wife hostage and it's just like kind of them being in the house all night for some reason it's quite gruesome it's pretty dumb but <laughs> Oh no, it's weird. <laughs> it's right. it's an odd, odd late period slasher. Cool. Uh, here's here's a really weird one. Clifford, uh, early '90s Martin Short comedy Clifford, where he plays a young boy. <laughs> Mar- oh, who's, that's who's Martin a problem Short. child. Martin Short as basically you know problem child, but it's before problem child, uh, and he menaces Charles Grodin, his uncle. Uh, he like he's and like it it sounds like just a basic setup, but it's so incredibly heightened, like it's sketch comedy, but like it, it's it's a very absurd movie. It was very hated in its time, but it's kind of been reclaimed. Uh, it's he he's just this kid with this singular mission. He wants to go to Dinosaur World and Charles Grodin, his uncle actually works there. 
oh, and so this should be easy, right? It should be so easy. Uh, and he like almost crashes a plane to get to uh, Los Angeles just to be near Dinosaur World and then like get himself involved with his uncle who he's never seen before and uh, who he just, you know, he takes over his life. Uh, it's it's such a weird thing. I think Groden's performance in it is absolutely incredible <laughs> and like short as well. Like it's it's so bizarre uh, and it's directed by Paul Flaherty. So it's like all SCTV folks. Oh, OK. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I, I saw I saw the po- the the cover art or the poster art. And for some reason, the fact that I, I didn't register that it was Martin Short, but the fact that he's wearing red had me thinking that this is somehow a live action adaptation of Clifford the Big Red Dog, despite no dog being shown anywhere. Well, that's the damnedest thing is that, you know, they have the name Clifford and on the other poster art, it shows him chained up like a dog with a dog house. But like, again, no dog in this movie. And like, why are you associating the word Clifford with dogs when there's a famous storybook dog? And that movie just yeah. came out. The the big red dog movie He's kind of big. Next up is The Laughing Woman, which is, you know, The Collector. You're you're, you're probably vaguely familiar with The Collector. Uh, um, I'm more familiar with people who have become obsessed with The Collector. Influenced by The Collector. Very famous novel by John Fowles uh, about just uh, someone abducting a woman and keeping them in like uh, a specially built room to just like keep them there. Uh, I want to be clear, folks, this is not behavior that we condone. No, very bad. Uh, and th- this is like the collector. If, if, if it were like sixties pop art craziness. So like, okay. it's this wealthy philanthropist. And instead of becoming the Batman and punching people with mental illnesses, he, builds this huge pop art dungeon with like a giant lady whose vagina has teeth in it and you can go inside. Uh, And he abducts this lady and they play all of these weird mind games with each other. And he's like keeping her for the weekend, but like he's threatened, he's going to kill her at the end of the weekend. And uh, it's like, who's really in charge here? Who's actually in control? Uh, And it, it does switch back and forth and, just incredibly scenic just the the locations are unbelievable like very very bizarre looking uh very unusual designs uh and just weird like a a very weird vibe uh clever uh fun music loungy just a weird psychedelic experience all right Uh, And the only one I did not add, but I wanted to mention talking about it. Uh, So we've been talking about Gary Graver a handful of times recently. Uh Uh, Gary Graver, he's the cinematographer for Al Adamson. He shot L.A. Bounty, which we did last week. Was that the week before? I don't know. Uh, Week before, yes. Uh, But he also directed a handful of films uh, like Moon and Scorpio, I think was on the first week of the watch stacks way way back oh yeah but 
he couldn't get a lot of mainstream cinema, so he did a lot of X-rated films. And I watched one of his oh, X-rated okay. movies. Oh, yeah, I see you're correct. I'm not into that, but go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, it's, it's just a fascinating object that I wanted to talk about, because like, I yeah. have a bunch of these from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, so like periodically I watch them, but most of them, it's more anthropological than anything else. They are not sexy in any way. They're usually very gross and they kind of don't have a story half the time. <laughs> like at least the ones that I've watched recently. And this one, I would say, feels like a real movie more than the other one. So I, I thought it was a little bit more interesting to mention. Uh, I guess, you know, because he's he built his chops, you know, he worked with Al Adamson and Orson Welles through the 70s. So he could make a low budget picture that actually felt like a movie instead of just a series of kind of grody sex scenes, which a lot of the other ones are. <laughs> OK. Uh, and interestingly, one of the male stars is Paul Thomas, who uh, is best known as Peter in Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just I don't know. It's it's a weird picture. It's about this summer camp for bad girls, like rich bad girls. But, you know, obviously <laughs> oh, you, you can see where that would go wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's it's like. It was entertaining enough and it had an actual vibe and, you know, had the summer camp location. It's like, wow, this actually kind of feels like a movie compared to uh, things like another one I watched a while back was Taxi Girls, where I kind of felt like I needed to uh, use mouthwash and take a shower after because it just it felt so I felt so filthy after just seeing some of the things in that movie. It was just horrible. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's that's not my thing at all, but no, fascinating to hear about. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, it's another form of genre cinema, as far as I'm concerned. It's interesting (laughs) to to explore. Uh, So those we we have the nine options. Uh, Okay, what do you figure? Strong choices this time around. Um, Yeah, I wanted to make sure that Baron Munchausen did get on the list, so I wouldn't forget about it because I'm really think considering that one. It is but very rad. It's I part of it's it's good. part of a set with uh, two other very cool quasi animated Czech films. Okay, uh, but I do remember I I was actually thinking about this before we started recording this part. Like, hey, a long, 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 long time ago, I asked you what was a movie that you thought I'd like that I would never pick, and you said Original Gangsters, and I was like, well. And then you spent some time talking about it. I was like, well, I should actually pick that one. And, and I was, <laughs> so it's interesting. So I was actually thinking of picking that for the main pick. Hmm. And then you ended up watching it. So that's kind of like saying, hey, fate is saying pick that one. But, but Baron Munchausen sounds really good. Hmm. What do you have any preference for what you think would be more interesting to cover? Well, I, I would say that the Baron Munchausen one is probably the one that's most outside of anything we've covered before. Like, it's probably the most unique. Because, uh, okay. like, Original Gangsters, I, I guess we have not really dipped into black exploitation at all yet either. No, we haven't. But I guess it would be kind of strange to do one that's so late period that's more of a, a retro one kind of looking back at them rather than starting with oh, one of the classics. Yeah. Especially since it would be my introduction to the genre yeah, the only so. other thing i've seen is like black dynamite which is also 
a retro one, although that one's kind of more in the original feel. And I mean, like, I do have most of these classic ones. Like, I have Shaft and Superfly and Cleopatra Jones and stuff. So we'll we'll probably get into those. Yeah, I I suppose Munchausen would definitely be a more just more to dig into because it's such a uh, again it's a very different culture like you know we we went to yugoslavia this month yeah uh, that's true so um, this is czechoslovakia uh soviet era because this is 62 okay well what it's also come down to is i'm sure we'll we could probably get to original gangsters on one of our hangout sessions very easily yeah we could easily convince our friend to watch that as i was saying just by saying hey and wings hauser is in it for a little bit whereas i don't think we'd get to yeah i don't think we'd get to baron munchausen that way yeah hard to say yeah but but it's fun so let's do it let's do baron munchausen cool cool uh so there are also a handful of additions some interesting stuff here uh so first is the tall t uh, which is first in a box of films by director Bud Bedeker, uh, his his Western films. And these okay. are extremely influential Westerns uh, from the late 50s, early 60s. So kind of still the classic era, but he was an independent guy and they were sort of the first existential Westerns. Uh, this is a pretty simple premise. There's this rancher played by Randolph Scott. He's the star of all of these. Uh, he and an heiress are kidnapped from their stagecoach and held for ransom by some gangsters. So pretty simple, but like just the the way he shot stuff, the way he based his stuff in uh, the emotional uh, currencies between people, you know, uh, very important quote from the packaging here. Bud, I stole everything from you. Sergio Leone. <laughs> Okay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, cool stuff. I have seen uh, Tall T before, but not in quite some time. I recall it being pretty cool. Uh, he he was like a noir guy, and it was like him bringing the existentialism and stuff of noir into the Western. So kind of giving it a sort of a different feel than it had before. So, you know, the all good guy mythos. <laughs> all right. Uh, next up is Alien Predators. I think it appears on the list as The Falling. Uh, uh, actually, it does show up here uh, on my end as Alien Predators. Oh, right. So, yeah, it's it's uh, Alien Predators, but if you hover over it, it says The Falling. is Like, oh, the okay. actual page is The Falling. Uh, <laughs> so it's about Skylab falling to Earth in Spain, like a piece of Skylab. Okay. Uh, it's and, not about aliens, xenomorphs, and dreadlock aliens uh, fighting. It's that too. So, oh, really? <laughs> so they, it's these three American teens who are backpacking through Spain, and there's a piece of Skylab fallen in the hills, and they and a NASA scientist, for whatever reason, three American teens and a NASA scientist have to team up to deal with the threat the alien threat that was like stowed away on Skylab. Okay. Uh, so there's, yeah. And there's a parasitic alien virus that, uh, has just like mutated a town. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, next up the Ernie game, uh, which is a Canadian game. (laughs) I don't want to play the Ernie game. Play the Bert game. No Bert. What's it really about? 
you know he'd be playing the Ernie, the Ernie game. He would absolutely uh, play the Ernie game. He, but he'd be grumbling about it the whole time. Well, yeah. I mean, that's 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 how he gets off. Uh, this is a Canadian picture, the Ernie game. It's from the 60s. Uh, Montreal, kind of like the the big kind of Canadian nationalist fervor period, which is really weird. You know, the, the, the era of the original Trudeau and Trudeau mania oh. and stuff. Uh, but this this is right, sort I of like forgot that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so this is like Trudeau a, means something different now. Kind of. Uh, so this is like a psychological movie about this guy who is newly released from a mental institution. And it's sort of like just swinging 60s Montreal uh, and him just kind of not knowing how to live among other people or have relationships. OK. Uh, next up is Succubus. Suck with S-U-K-K-U. Indeed. Bus. Uh, this is a Swiss film, I believe. Uh, it, it's another folk horror. Oh, okay. Uh, and is it's, it from that set? No, this is a different one, just a standalone okay. one that I recently got. Uh, and it's the these, I, I think it's like some shepherds or some sheep herders or whatever. Uh, they're up in the Alps and they're extremely lonely and they find this root that kind of looks like a face and they build a sex doll out of like roots and mud and stuff and have sex with it with you know the thing with the face that kind of looks like yeah. a face and it comes to life and it gets really mad and it kills them <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> uh that is the plot that that is my understanding of the plot okay uh, of course, there is Haruko the Goblin, as we yeah. mentioned earlier. Yeah. And uh, one last addition. Uh, I, this is just some stuff that has not been filed yet. Some stuff that just arrived today. So top of that is Island Claws, a movie about marine biologists trying to solve world hunger. And they grow really giant crabs. And they're just like giant evil man-eating screaming crabs just rampaging through Florida. They should have invented giant rubber bands first. Yeah, they really should have thought ahead. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's it. Those are the additions. Uh, what do okay. you figure? Well, well, since I I thought I had picked my uh, main watch, but I but it ended up not working out <laughs> that way. <laughs> um, so I am I found myself for no reason at all struck by the today just now by the poster art for scorpion but i'm in the mood for something with a very different feel to uh bullet ballet is, is this going to be different from that because like i don't know anything about it besides hmm, i mean like right now so female prisoner scorpion it is a japanese movie about gangs <laughs> oh wait what's it called female prisoner scorpion oh a female prisoner number 701 scorpion right okay i it just i only just saw the scorpion on the poster right it um, is the first in a series <laughs> this may not be that different of a tone after all i'm looking at the description here after being cruelly set up by crooked detective sugimi whom she loved nami matsushima is sentenced to hard time in a women's prison run by a sadistic and horny male guards. Yep. While Matsushina plots her revenge, Sugimi and his criminal associates conspire to have her meet an 
accidental death in prison. Now that could be really dark. It's, I mean, there, there's, it's definitely darkness adjacent. It's, it's kind of sillier and trashier, but yeah, yeah like it's, it could also be a really fun revenge fantasy. Yeah, I mean, like I have seen this movie. Uh, I and it, it is kind of a mix. It, it does have grungy elements to it for sure. Oh, like okay, it is an exploitation okay. film. <laughs> uh, like yeah, this is a classic, right. like seventies exploitation. Ah, what the hey, let's do it. We just talked a whole bunch about it, so why not? Female prisoner scorpion? Yeah. All right. Yeah. It is a fun time. All right, excellent. Okay, so next time then, female prisoner number 701, Scorpion, and uh, the fabulous Baron Munchausen, or uh, Baron Prasil. Looking forward to it. Should be fun uh, heading Mm -hmm. to the Czech Republic, or, or Czechoslovakia, I guess. Uh, again, uh, uh, non-existent nations now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was going to make a joke, but I'm, the, the Simpsons joke about countries put it that in no age? longer exist. <laughs> put it in age, but then it was like, well, it might not be appropriate. But then I mentioned the joke, so it's in there. Oops. I mean, I, I cannot ever think about the dissolution of many different Soviet blocs without thinking of that joke. It is kind of permanently wound in my head with yeah. <laughs> the whole concept. It no longer exists. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's that's our generation. I mean, like I, I, I was there for the first episode of The Simpsons. I so I was, was I. I was watching it the night it aired, and I was like, I'm in for this, and I continued to watch it in real time. And I don't know, I it's permanently burned into my head because there was like oh, yeah. a solid ten years ten where I was years. watching. Every new episode and endless reruns of every episode all the time in between. You could change. There was a point in time where you could flip through every channel that was available at any point in time. And eventually you would end up on The Simpsons. I mean, I'm going to bet that's probably still a thing. I don't have cable anymore, so I don't know. Is cable? It's still a thing. I think my parents have cable. I haven't had cable in 20 years. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, uh, uh, it's it's so completely wound up in everything that I think of. Uh, Simpsons quotes just completely dominate my mind. Uh, it, it takes all my composure not to constantly throw Simpsons quotes into every episode and that, every and that's discussion. That's so much. That is like so much of people of our age group. It really is one of the most influential shows. For, yeah. for a particular time period, at least. Well, yeah, especially for a show that I have not watched a new episode of in upwards of 20 years, right? Yeah. Like, like uh, I, I haven't don't... seen anything, I think, past season 13. Yes, uh, same. Uh, maybe Besides the movie, which I enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, I saw the movie. The movie was okay. I think I've seen one other episode since then, but like just randomly. Uh, but yeah, that's it's it's weird because that's a show that was like my whole life, and now I have not watched it forever, and I still think about it all the time. But I would not, and yet would have not no watch desire it. to. No, no. yeah, uh, so weird. It just uh, won't die. I'll probably get to those new episodes someday. <laughs> They're uh, in the stacks. We might have to do a Simpsons. Po- oh, dear. Oh, dear. I have up oh, to dear. season twenty. Uh, oh, but, my oh, God. Eventually. <laughs> Uh, anyway, with with that note, uh, 
<laughs> the strange dystopian nature of the stacks. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for all your support and <laughs> everything. Uh, all right. Uh, cheers, y'all, uh, and keep watching the stacks.